0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Orson Welles. I'm here to tell you that this program contains coarse language, strong thematic content, terrible imitations of people like me and other Hollywood figures, and an unabashed love of Hollywood's golden age. This month in particular, the Ballyboo, features a lot of me, so I'll be introducing these episodes. One note in particular would be that I, in fact, am featured in the trailer for the Incredible Shrinking Man. Additionally, my friend William Allen, Mercury Theatre alumnus, worked closely with Jack Arnold earlier in his career. These terrible cosmic coincidences swirl in a chaos of ghastly apparition and ghoulish terror to bring you the ultimate in podcasting for October. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the bally boo. <laughs> a year. Valley Who. Review.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Many great sights await inside the picture palace of the past, and we have plenty of ways to talk about the things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight, the Ballyhoo brings you a startling sight that could only come from the science fiction boom of the 1950s, a time when world's great questions were answered through allegory by way of the vast ideas emerging from a post-war world filled with new technological sciences that could give a whole generation either comfortable innovation or harsh reckoning. The very idea that plagued a nuclear family and the roles we play in it could be addressed in many large forms. But our selection this evening grasps at the larger picture by asking us to dwindle in size. That's right, folks. Tonight, we will be transported to 1957, where we will be startled and inspired by Jack Arnold's classic adaptation of Richard Matheson's The Incredible Shrinking Man. So see the show and stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds.
2: Man! Man. 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 You are getting smaller. There's no medical precedent for what's happening to you. I, I simply know that you're getting smaller. I want you to stop thinking about us. Our marriage. Some awful things might happen. As long as you've got this wedding ring on, You've got me.
0: This is Orson Welles speaking. I have 45 seconds to tell you about something I think you'll remember the longest day you live. It's about a man named Scott Carey. A few months ago, he was six feet two inches tall and weighed 190 pounds. Today, he's two inches tall and you can hold him in the palm of your hand. Now he lives in a world where he must fight for his life, a world where a friendly house cat He's a predatory monster. Incredible because it's almost beyond imagining. Incredible because every hour he gets smaller and smaller. Incredible because every moment the terror mounts.
1: Now that you've seen the show, we will get to the talk of the day. Yes, in 1957, the wave of success director Jack Arnold was feeling would give him the ability to not only bring Richard Matheson's haunting, but ultimately beautiful sci-fi tale to life, but he would also have the nerve to defend it vigorously for all its bits and parts. Additionally, Arnold's attention to detail in pre-production would be a catalyst that would blossom a wonderful film filled with groundbreaking special effects and set design to dazzle the mind and enchant souls. But today, Jack Arnold's innovation in the realms of horror and sci-fi may be slightly overlooked in favor of the larger picture and are an odd notion considering we have a film before us that begs you to pay attention to the smaller details, both practical and ethereal. Just how does The Incredible Shrinking Man influence the world of film we see today? And what do we take from it from lessons of innovation down to larger ideas that only sci-fi can expound upon? Well, As the very thought of shrinking into nothing gives this host the willies and the chillies. The Ballyhoo must recruit the services of experts in things that chill the blood and tingle the spine. They are podcasts whose work on Rated H and the House of Hammer give them the clout and courage to face an unknown almost as confounding as the one Scott Carey himself faces. Please welcome to the show Ben Taylorson and Smokey, just Smokey. Thank you very much. Thank you
2: for
1: that, Zach. My pleasure to be here. Can
3: I just highlight one take, Zach, there, by the way? All of that. My (laughs)
1: word. I learned it from Clint Eastwood. He wants to go home and fish or something. I don't know. (laughs) Certainly didn't learn it from
3: us, mate. Bloody hell. Well done, you. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank
1: you, Zach. Thank you. Now, Smokey, you have been on the Ballyhoo before, talking Mm. about probably one of the most (laughs) <laughs> could have gone the wrong way. Titles <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of all time, yeah. freaks. Yeah, we're uh, Todd Browning's freaks. Mm-hmm. But Ben, you are new to this, uh, so yeah. let's let's put you in the awkward hot seat because um, that's always hilarious. Um, <laughs> how, now uh, we cover Golden Age Hollywood and basically anything just before the New Wave. What is your experience with this era of cinema? Uh, like, what's your exposure points to it? Uh, it, it's uh, it's quite
4: um quite widespread i've have seen a lot i mean I, I Smokey hates me talking about this but but i have a master's degree in cinema <laughs> i do not I so love um,
2: that. you have a <laughs>
4: so so I, I you know i i'm i'm a student of film uh, and <laughs> I, i've i've studied film throughout sort of all the ages i've uh you know with smoky and and with um the hammer uh, lads we've we've covered a lot but but you know prior to that i've i've um been a film fan for many years i I'm not the type of person who is is turned off by specific genres or specific ages of film or whether it's subtitled or whether it's you know this that or the other. I'll give everything a fair whack. Um, in reference to today's film, you know, I, I love Richard Matheson. I, I I really like this film. I don't know if that's wrong to say it right <laughs> from the beginning, but I'm going to um, you know. And I've talked about this on another podcast before as well. So it's um, yeah, I'm I'm I, I'm delighted to be here, and I'm always delighted to talk about cinema regardless of, of the um the era or the genre from which it uh, it comes
1: well then that's a, that actually can kick us off into a question that i have that um uh relates to the uh the work you guys do on house of hammer and rated age um because you 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 talk about loving cinema regardless of what age it comes from or what genre it comes from um the Incredible Shrinking Man is arguably just as much a horror tale as it is a sci-fi tale mm. from the very concepts Absolutely and ideas. Good. And that's a topic that you guys cover on two different shows, but, mm. but both are carrying. Well, House of Hammer, as of now, is going to edge into the horror realm. We'll but at the eventually. moment, it's been, yeah, give it time. Mm-hmm. To, or what was it? What does Sean Connery <laughs> say in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Take your time. Um, <laughs> Uh, You'd have but, to ask uh, Kevin about that one. <laughs> I'm the only one that watched it. Now, but that's my Kevin impression. is not Dutch, good. Kevin, <laughs> um, Kev, yeah. Kev you, he's been around. What you, um, mm-hmm. but so uh, the work that you guys do on those two different shows, you're covering the world of horror, which has its own up and down history of respectability. And I am curious for people um, who have not heard Rated H, pitch it. Talk about what that is. Like, what, how do you guys? Did you guys come upon the idea of talking about horror films on a semi-regular basis as the tagline of the show? Nice conveys.
4: Well, we we were. I'll pass over to Smokey in a minute, but we knew each other um, well before Rated H from other projects we'd been involved in, mm-hmm. and we had horror in common. Yeah, and I guess. The, the, you know the, the, the aim of rated H is that we talk about the horror films that we want to talk about sometimes they're films that are new to us sometimes they're films that we love sometimes they're films that we think are going to be challenging mm-hmm. um I mean horror has many sub-genres within it Oof. you know be it paranormal slasher psychological you know whatever it happens to be and we try to, to dot about and cover them all um uh, and you know, keep the show as mixed as it can be within that um, that sort of blanket of horror. Um, Smokes, I don't know what you want to add to to what I've said.
3: I, I, I mean, I can't really disagree with that. I mean, we we do, as you say, we try to do very many, uh, well, as many subgenres of horror as we can, from from the found footage to horror comedies to video the video nasty boom of uh, of the seventies and eighties in the UK. Um, we, we we run the gamut, and also every eighteen months we do a Vincent Price movie as well. So you know, we, because because we've got we've got about three hundred of those to go through, and we've only done three so far. So give us time. But you'll um, never make it. We we will. No, we, we really won't. We will. we will. It's all
4: right though, Zach, because they're mostly all the same. <laughs>
3: Well, we've done all right so far. Um, but no, I, I, uh, as, as Ben mentioned, we we knew each other before Rated H started, and yeah, our love of horror was one of the things that that uh, bonded us uh, as friends. And we always, I think, it was always there that this was going to be something that we ended up doing together. Mm-hmm. And you know, almost almost six years later, we're still going, and mm-hmm. it's and it's more more popular than ever. You know, our our figures go up every single year, which is mind blowing to me. And um and it's and it it's, isn't what what it, more fun could you have than sitting down and talking horror with your best mate? So
1: well, it isn't it isn't mind blowing to me because I'm a regular listener myself, and you I are. hear the knowledge and the and the passion that you guys are bringing to it. So of course, people are going to be drawn to that. Yeah. But in, in the regards of what we're doing today, you know, like I ask, how did that come about? Because mm. your guys your guys' selection of the Incredible Shrinking Man uh, was. Uh, the idea, the, the the concept of it, I first thought we were going into sci-fi territory. I then realized this is a horror film at, at its core to a philosophical point, I guess, sure. um, because the, the concepts itself fall into, I always feel like Twilight Zone is just as much a horror show as it is a sci-fi show, and this falls into the same category, and so I wanted to to bring up your expertise in this and your passion behind it before we get into this, because I think it is essential for people to know that you know, that there, there is a, there, there's an art to examining what, what gives us fright in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. Okay. Um, and, it, and it comes from people who break that down on a regular basis. Um, we don't do it a, a, a bunch on this show, but when we do it, we do it with a certain area of experience of knowing what chills us to the bone. And this film chilled me to my core. I had only seen this film prior in bits and chunks on YouTube oh. because of the set pieces <laughs> near the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what I found incredible about it was the the first 30 to 40 minutes of this, the first half of this film is is a satire. And then the second half is a survival film With a spiritual awakening. By the end of the piece. Mm. Um, And I was amazed. To see how they all. Came together. And it shouldn't surprise me. Because it's Matheson. um, Who we have talked about before. On the last man on earth episode. On this show. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, unlike that experience. It seems like Matheson. Was happier with the way. This film turned out. um, Because he. Well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I
3: was just going to say it certainly seems that way as well because obviously he wanted to keep the the bleakness of the of the ending that was in the book, which mm-hmm. obviously, you know, your Hollywood bigwigs even now. I mean, how many times have you know, we've all mentioned it? You know, when you say, "No, that's that's a, a test audience ending," you know, when yeah. when suddenly the a, a lighthearted feel good ending just suddenly appears out of nowhere and kind of destroys everything you've just spent the last 80 minutes fighting for you know mm-hmm. okay we'll get on to the ending of the film eventually and whether you think it's a good ending or not it i I think that it, it deserves to be praised for the way it does actually handle it it I, deserves a lot of credit
1: because it's not like the 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 way I approached this film was my prior experience with this concept of shrinking or enlarging really uh comes from uh the amazing colossal man like the one the colossal man movies from mst3k mm-hmm. um which are you know are are done by burt or, or burt i gordon which i've watched them both straight and with mst3k attached to them right so it's it's never felt anything to me but gimmicky and a little over the top but still fun like i still like the yeah. i still like those colossal films now, this film, with the clips that I had seen before, I'm like, well, this is really cool looking at early special effects. Mm-hmm. The, the film is more than its special effects. And yet, without those special Absolutely. effects, we yeah. have no deeper meaning to this film. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of a miracle when special effects of this nature are serving the story in such a way that it's not plot driven. It's human driven. It's character driven. And it's 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 astounding because we don't necessarily live in that world anymore. <laughs> um, it's it's debatable, um, but I, th- uh- I think it
4: does it does a, a good job. I mean, you talked about Matheson before, and, and I'm delighted to to know that you've you've done a, a Last Man on Earth episode because that there is huge comparison between this and that. Oh yeah. In so much that there's the same sort of absurdist science fiction meets horror tropes go mm-hmm. through the two of them. It's a very, this is similarly ambitious to that. I I really like that film. I, yeah. I love the book, and it's it's true to say the book of the Last Man on Earth or Well I Am Legend yeah. there hasn't been um, an absolutely definitive version of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Last Man on Earth is the closest we get, mm-hmm. and it's 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 forever sort of sticks in my craw that most people know Matheson's work from the Will Smith I Am Legend yeah. that. Deviates massively from from the book. This this particular film, um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Zach. In so much that it's a film of two halves. The first half is is a science fiction horror. The second half is a survivalist thriller.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, with but that ambition is still there uh, towards the end. It, that that ending, I, I still think it pulls a punch a little bit. I don't think it exactly says what it's trying to say. I think you've got to read between the lines a little bit about. About the, the the deeply philosophical sort of uh, trope or, or sort of um, feelings that that exude from that last forty five seconds of the film, <laughs> yeah. but what I will say is, for me, um, the, the, the the physical the physical side of it, the the, the set and the um, the props and the, all of that. The, the the closest comparison I've ever seen is the the TV series land of the Giants oh, yeah. that that's what hmm. always reminded me of 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 this film watching that back it hasn't quite got the same production values ironically even though it's a decade later um but but it, it I think in themes and in that kind of it's slightly campy if you want to interpret that it, it that way but if you want to take it literally it's a thriller Mm-hmm. very much like this is that that that's what I, I i feel every time i watch this now is i kind of want to go back they repeated like, when i was a kid i'm i'm 41 years old when i was a kid uh, in the 1990s they repeated land of the giants in this country on a sunday morning uh, it was either that or lost in space or the fugitive <laughs> um and so so I, I kind of have seen most of them and it reminded me uh, very much of that sitting down and watching this again
1: it rem- you know it's funny like i um i'm glad you like the last man on earth cuz we We liked it on the show in spite of the fact that Matheson can't stand it. It's like like, I don't care what Richard thinks. (laughs) Um, But I came upon the realization while watching this film. It's basically Last Man on Earth in reverse from a character standpoint because it begins populated and then it dwindles to one person by the end. Yeah. And I loved looking at that juxtaposition. And I had to recall in my head Last Man on Earth and how it flows with transitioning to its points. And I'm delighted to to find in my mind that both carry pretty seamless transitions into the realms of isolation or into the worlds of occupancy that the, that the films maintain. Um, in Last Man on Earth I feel like the transition is is good even though we are dealing a little bit more with flashback which I think is something Matheson really would have rather done with this film because the book is not linear and, I th- mm-hmm. and it, in all reports say that he wanted to keep it non-linear but the studio was very insistent on a more linear piece. That would have and- been a nightmare though. You you make you yeah. make this film
3: you make this the, the, the for me the, the great thing about this film one of the great things about this film I should say is that it's there's no flab on it at all. You've got you've got mm. this straight in a line narrative. And as you say both of you it's split into two halves. I mean it was literally pretty much bang on 40 minutes when he quote unquote yeah, less, when yeah. he quote unquote dies. Mm-hmm. You know. And then and then like like Lazarus before him. <laughs>
2: he Oh uh, yeah, so La- Lazarus back. resurrected from
1: the Lazarus resurrected from the dead after being attacked by an uh, orange tabby cat. I remember exactly, that in the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. They just they,
3: they they put that in the director's cut. They don't leave it in the uh, in theater. The, the
1: director's cut of the Bible. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. (laughs) the tarantula edition (laughs) oh
3: oh if, it it if, comes if... in a big spider box. You have to get... <laughs> Is it <laughs>
1: is it limited edition? Only four thousand copies before Arrow takes it off the market.
3: <laughs> wouldn't it be great yeah. if there was only six hundred and sixty-six copies? That would just be blasphemous. Oh. Oh. You know, um, but no, I mean, you can't. You, you, uh, I, it would. Right, going back to my original point <laughs> before I went all blasphemous on it. What, what was that? Uh, the fact that, that, that the, the, because <laughs> it's a linear narrative. This is. It's a very good reason why this film works. If you do, mm-hmm. I can see the. I can. See see the temptation to put in a lot of flashbacks here and again it would have worked as well but it it certainly wouldn't have been as entertaining because you have this this basic story all right granted it's fantastical this is science fiction thing of okay you know it's a man who is getting smaller let's not beat around the bush that's what it is it's kind of baked into the title spoilers (laughs) i know but um well, (laughs) well well universal didn't think of that either so there you go um so You know, that's, that's perfect. It's simple. And it, and, and it keeps your attention as well, because, Mm -hmm. you know, how's he going to get out of this? How's he going to use that nail? How's he going to use that needle? How's he going to get away from the spider? You know, it's just, I mean, that's great. It's, it's problem solving to the max. It's like an episode of Bear Grylls, you know, it's just like, right, he's dropped into this weird alien location. How's he gonna get a, a fire going? How's he gonna get his water supply? Where's he gonna sleep at night? It, that's what this film is, and and that, it's it's thoroughly like thoroughly entertaining.
4: It's like it's like bear grills, but he's only little, so it's bee grills. Um, I was what I was gonna it say was um that all of that said, they 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 still couldn't resist putting a wraparound on it and having him introduce his own story, which takes away a little bit of the mystery of does he
1: survive or does he not? Well, he's clearly, and also he's clearly a cousin of that of that gentleman of William Holden in uh, Sunset Boulevard. You know, like that's the
3: one. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You're yeah, probably need, wondering
1: why I'm a... floating in a pool.
3: Yeah, that odd kind of yeah. flash-forward technique that they use right at the beginning. That is that is an odd way to go, isn't it?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's it, it. They do the same thing in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's almost as if they can't. or the the original Body Snatchers. Okay. Sorry, the fifties version. That they because they 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 couldn't go with the fact that you might not know at the end is he really alive or dead. And I think there's a little bit of that sort of sort of reassurance that comes in that opening thirty seconds of well, I'm narrating my own story, so I must be here at the end. And the other thing I'll say is that yes, they don't. The the timeline is linear, but they really make use of the jumps in time. Oh, yeah. To, to, two, two excellent examples of where they jump forward a, a, a sort of a an undescribed amount of time and it's there to shock the audience and it really works. It's mm-hmm. really, really good.
1: Yeah, yeah I agree with and, that. It's, and it's a scene we'll get to, but I think we can all agree that the, it's one thing to have Matheson's story. It's another thing to have a director as keen as Jack Arnold aboard. And I thought of all the people that deserves an expose, everybody knows Matheson. Everybody's... Everybody knows that Will Smith movie, as Ben Tylerson was talking about earlier. Um, so instead of uh, going down the Matheson rabbit hole again, why don't we take a center look at Jack Arnold uh, for our little bio of the episode? Um, so um, there is a lovely uh, thing about uh, Criterion when they've been putting these uh, films out lately is that they've actually been seeking out outside documentaries um, about the directors in question. Um, uh, the, and in this case, we have a one called "A on Campus." Jack Arnold at Universal, um, and we have interviews with Arnold that are pretty available thanks to this German documentary that was uh, floating around. And Criterion has it located on that disc. Um, and there's actually some that are available on the internet talking about how they created the cat sequence and him describing that process. But the story of Jack Arnold is actually one of a journeyman director who I think stands out because of his ability to increase the level of what he's doing for like anybody who's going to stick a camera in front of a monster and say, go. Jack Arnold says, well, what if I move that camera around and give it, I don't know, personality and depth and dimension and stuff like that? So we, our, our our subject today is born in New Haven, Connecticut to Russian immigrants on October 14th, 1916. He wanted to be an actor, and he went so far as to enroll in the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, where he had peers that ranged the gamut from Betty Field and Garson Kanan to the legendary Hume Cronin, a uh, Hitchcock alumni. Um, he found himself working in vaudeville as a dancer before finding work on Broadway in 1935. While he was acting on Broadway. He made money on the side, and I loved this about him, made money on the side by filming 16 millimeter camera highlights of Broadway shows that were on stage at the time and then selling them back to the actors who worked on the show. Conceivably, the footage of Broadway we have in the 30s, if any at all, might be coming from Jack Arnold's camera. So he was kind uh, of like
3: a, a, an original bootlegger.
1: Yeah, an original. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I like it. <laughs> yeah you just see like a stand on the uh on the side of new york with just a bunch of film cans and going like here's roberta i mean uh, granted, here's it's new not faces. it's not pirate
3: in vhs's you know you're not too, you're not connecting <laughs> two video recorders together with a scart cable but it's an early yeah. version
2: yeah
1: it is that yeah and he has like you know fake covers made from them that he drew see, with pencil go. and crayon <laughs> <laughs> One has the title wrong for Roberta with a backwards R, there you know. You go. Um, now he worked on Broadway until the outbreak of a little thing called World War Two. Um, uh, I I don't know how many people have heard of it. Um, it happened though. It was the sequel. Um, it wasn't as good, was it? No, I mean, no. well, some people say it was like the Godfather too. I remember we won. <laughs> we won. Oh, we did! Oh, thank God. <laughs> that yeah, Hitler was did. a bad was a bad man. I'm, yeah. i I I went so long not knowing whether or not World War 2 was won by by the Allies or not.
3: <laughs> so so glad to put your mind at rest on that one. Oh, thank God!
1: It's good to know that Nazis don't exist anymore. Yes, mm. they're,
3: they're gone mm. forever.
1: Yeah, sure. Anyway, though, back to World War II and not Depression Land today. Um, <laughs> uh, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor compelled Jack uh, to enlist as a cadet in the pilot training courses while he was doing the show My Sister Eileen. And His aspirations for flying were offset because there was a shortage of planes, because in this country especially... There was not a, a a surplus of planes having been pre-built. We were not ready for war because we were an isolationist nation. Nobody wanted to put money into sell uh, to defense and whatnot. So when Pearl Harbor happens, <laughs> it goes, "Oh shit, got to make some planes." Uh-huh. So um, his um, it's offset, and he goes to the Signal Corps instead. When he's in the Signal Corps, uh, he begins learning documentary filmmaking under the tutelage of Robert Flaherty the director of Nanook of the North a very well respected documentarian of his of his time and he began teaching Jack Arnold how to work with the 35 millimeter rig Uh, Dr. Dana Reams, who wrote the book directed by Jack Arnold, says that Arnold was very intimidated by that technology and these bigger pieces of equipment, and Flaherty, like, apparently what it amounted to was him saying, like, suck it up. You're just going to learn how to fucking film. (laughs) Um, And he shoots uh, military films with Flaherty until he gets his wings by joining the Air Corps eight months after that delay. Now, following the war, Arnold forms with Lee Goodman a company called Promotional Films Incorporated. And the goal of the company was to make fundraising films for nonprofits. One of these included a film called Chicken of Tomorrow, uh, which you can lovingly watch. Yeah, and you can watch that title, Lovingly Rift, on MST3K. It's one of the many shorts they tackled during their tenure on the comedy channel, Comedy Central. Um, Now, the bigger get that he gets out of this company Promotional Films Incorporated is he's commissioned to do a documentary called "With These Hands." With these hands covered, labor conditions for a, uh, a international ladies garment workers union, and part of the goal was apparently to dispel the notion that unions were nothing but leftist agitators and that they had patriotism about them, and basically to clarify union activities and unions and what their purpose is rather than falling off of the specter of
0: communism. Um,
1: (laughs) So, you know, there's a there's a the documentary is very hard hitting. It's a 52 minute unflinching look at labor conditions uh, and it results in an Oscar nomination for best documentary for Jack Arnold. Um, And all during that time, he is still acting on stage he did a turn in the show, The Front Page, which would then become His Girl Friday, a very contentious title for some people in this room. <laughs> uh, and he was in uh, a show called In Three Indelicate Ladies with Elaine Stritch and Bella Lugosi. <laughs> nice. So, which which makes the question: What did Bella do to piss Jack Arnold off to not get any work? <laughs> yeah, maybe he was in his sort of diva phase. Maybe I could shrink. Really I could shrink. I could be a creature from Black Lagoon. (laughs) I
3: I knew that impression was coming. I just knew it.
1: Damn right it was. (laughs) Um, Maybe he was the tarantula. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh my god. There you go. Get him in. Like, get, do you do you just make him the voice of the tarantula, or do you get him in a tarantula costume? <laughs> no,
4: I I want him. I want him moving all eight legs. That's what oh, I sweet. <laughs> <laughs> method <laughs>
1: Bella. Method. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. George Lucas comes in and goes. Well, we just didn't have the technology at the time to give Bella Lugosi four more legs. <laughs> no. <laughs> but look no, at my new special edition. Look at my new special edition of Tarantula, complete with Bella Lugosi as the tarantula. <laughs> now you're talking. Um, that's that's how that's how you remake films. You don't colorize them and you don't replace ILM's work. No. You, you you just, just get put Bela, Bela Lugosi, Lugosi in a
3: spider suit. There
1: exactly. That's all I need. out of
3: That would have improved Plan Nine from Outer Space, really, wouldn't it?
1: So. Oh, if Bela Lugosi was a space tarantula, mm-hmm. ah.
3: Yeah, uh,
4: to, be, to
1: be honest, it would improve everything <laughs> if Bela Lugosi was a space tarantula. You know, my problem with Little Women, but Bela Lugosi is a space tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he replaces Bob Odenkirk as the dad and he comes in at, with his spider legs and goes, oh, there they are, my little women. Because <laughs> <laughs> he can put his arms around all of them at once. You know, I love the Irishman. But the only <laughs> thing it was missing was Bell yeah. Lugosi as a spider, and yeah. he's the one who kills Jimmy Hoffa.
3: <laughs> Sc- Scorsese just missed a trick; he just wasn't paying attention.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. If Killers of the Flower Moon doesn't have Bell Lugosi as I, a spider, I, well, he, yeah, I'm getting a refund if it doesn't. I'm good. I, I mean, the the next best thing is having Brendan Fraser in it, to my mind. Oh, well, I think that's the, that's the second best one, and oh, um, um. Uh, By the way, um, I won't talk about it here, but yes, audience, I am pissed about Batgirl being canceled, and um, I will leave it at that. Um, (laughs) um, Now, Talent Scouts saw saw the success of With These Hands and started swarming around Jack Arnold, and this led to him signing a seven-year contract with Universal. Now, Universal at this time, like most any time, is in shaky proposition (laughs) because it... Up until the 60s with MCA, it just didn't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. And um, at this point, they were actually under the tutelage of J. Arthur Rank, um, who held major stakes in the company prior and then attempted a failed four-way merger with other companies. But two of them did eventually merge into Universal International, uh, along with William Getz, who was the founder of International Pictures, And the focus was to stop doing B-movies in production um, in favor of prestige pieces. And they learned that that doesn't make money. Um, and (laughs) And to give you a perspective on this, the typical output for Universal prior was 50 films. They cut that down to 35. So when they started learning that we don't have any money to make the prestige pieces because the prestige pieces don't make a lot of money... Um, they switched that around and started really cranking up. I think, uh, the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein was cited as one of the films that like was cranked into production because they learned, oh shit, we can't do this the way we want to. Yeah. Um, so Arnold's first film at UI is Girls in the Night, which was described as kind of like a pre-juvenile exploit, teen exploitation movie from the era, um, and the uh, this led to the movie. It came from outer space, which was produced by William Allen, a former member of the Mercury Theater on the Air uh, with Orson Welles. And Allen chose Arnold off of the roster. It's not really known why he just chose him off the roster. Assignment director um, is, is have you have you seen that Zach? What it came from outer space once. I don't yeah. remember much of it apart from it. It's the it's an invasion of the body snatchers ripoff
4: it's another it's another or oh, these could be communists or or not, yeah, but they're
1: aliens, actually, but here's the metaphor it's it's another one of those. it's okay. I want to it's it's disposable, but it's all right. I want to rewatch it from the perspective they were talking about in all of these interviews and documentaries because they were talking about the fact is they wanted to not show the aliens the xenomorph as it's described in the script, but Universal and its marketing department was just like, but but it's an alien movie. Can't you show an alien in the alien movie? And Arnold was just like, well, I don't want to. And Universal's like, we're
0: going to do it anyway.
1: (laughs) And so they designed that eye-looking creature. Um, Mm -hmm. And so regardless of what Arnold wanted out of it, the film was a success and it led to... um, I don't. Have you any? Have you guys ever heard of a film called *Creature from the Black Lagoon*? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Creature <laughs> from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it, it stars Julie Adams. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Creature from the Black Lagoon uh, is Jack Arnold, along with *Revenge of the Creature*, um, which would follow up with it, um, and we won't touch too much on Creature from the Black Lagoon because guess what that episode has been booked and will be coming out in October for Ballyboo Uh Um, but I will mention in Revenge of the Creature you have an early appearance by Clint Eastwood which means Jack Arnold uh, was one of the first instrumental people teaching Clint Eastwood how to act one way (laughs) for the rest of his life I was going
3: to say he didn't exactly differ from that very
1: much did he just just look annoyed (laughs) Your motivation is pissed.
3: Whether you're whether you're, up, yeah, put, whether you're put, up against an orangutan or an empty chair on the stage, just look pissed off. Put this drawing pin in your shoe; it'll serve you. <laughs> look,
1: look, the RNC should have known that my friend Jack Arnold told me to look pissed at anything, whether it was monkeys, Hal Holbrook, or a chair. <laughs> so why are you getting can angry I be, at me? I be, made a career out of it. Can can I be racist in this? <laughs> <laughs> Jack Arnold's just like you're a scientist, and this is just a creature from the black. Yeah, but can I can I be racist towards the creature from the black lagoon? Can I say not in my neighborhood?
3: Get off of my swamp! Get
2: off my swamp! I've
1: read the script, but what it needs is more slurs. It's so weird because he clearly <laughs> didn't say that while making The Mule. <laughs> oh, God,
3: no.
1: No, it didn't, actually. It, it decided to pull back, which I was like, <laughs> yeah. shocking. Yeah, of all um, the
3: films. Of all the films.
1: Of all the films, The Mule yes. was the one.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yes, but what that script needed was more very young women having sex with him, though, <laughs> in, in,
1: implausibly, <laughs> as in, remember. Look, Ben, I'm only going to give up one of two things. You decide which one goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it um, all that. <laughs> um, like my friend Jack Arnold says, you can have your cake and eat it too. But if you really want me to scale back on the diet, <laughs> yeah. um, now there needs to be a woman in the cake.
3: I <laughs> <laughs> can <end> see. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah,
1: yeah. or like that's the best cake ever, or, or like <laughs> scattered episodes of I'm sure Mad Men. <laughs> um, now Grant Williams' um, uh, involvement becomes key following Jack Arnold's success because Jack Arnold goes into. Man from Bitter Ridge, Tarantula, and a movie called Red Sundown, where Grant Williams, the star of today's movie, was cast in Red Sundown as a villain, which was against type for Grant Williams because he was seen as kind of more of a pretty boy. He can't do anything except stand there and look cute. And Jack Arnold was just like, yeah, but what if I gave him a personality and a dimension and depth? <laughs> and uh the audience responded to it enough that Grant Williams was more than able to be chosen for the incredible shrinking man. Um, Now the production on this film uh, I find interesting because Ben Burt and Craig Barron on the criterion feature had talked about the fact, and I think it's something we can get into is that these special effects that are so innovative uh, don't always have the individual artists attached to them because not everybody was credited back then you'd have the head of the department credited and that would be it. Um, For our special effects department in particular, there are key artists that are mentioned through what I was able to track was IMDB. So again, if it's not right, I'm sorry, but I want to try to give credit where credit is due, which is Cleo E Baker, Fred Noth and Ardell Little. Uh, Ardell Little is very key to one of the best props in the movie for my money. Um, I'm sure uh, the ones then,
3: you've missed will forgive you, though, Zach. I wouldn't worry Oh, I'm about sure.
1: That. I'm sure they will. All those people that I don't know because Universal won't tell me.
3: <laughs> well, this is true, but also the fact is that they're dead. So
1: yes, that th- is true. I think you're fine. Well,. You know. Yet yeah, so says you. How do you well, know who haunts my house in the middle of the night, <laughs> Well,
3: we all know who haunts
1: your house in the middle of the night, mate. But let's not talk about that right now. But yeah, um, th- yeah, it's a comedian that we don't need to talk about right now. This is very true.
3: <laughs> yeah, C- could we just I just want to point out the thing about uh, Grant Williams. There is that he is one of the original members of the Strasbourg School, mm-hmm. um, which obviously you know. I've spoken about on other shows as well. I'm not the biggest advocate or fan of method acting, but
1: he's he was one of the original. It's like, how the hell did he method act this? I I think it comes down to comes it, down I, to it, nice. It comes ha ha. I wasn't <laughs> even thinking. That's how that's how the brain works. I think it I think it shrinks down to the Ooh, bottom line being go. that uh uh this is an internalized performance a lot of our a lot of our time in the film is spent in monologue Mm. and when you have the combination of the effects that these were that these artists are doing combined with his ability to grasp the reality of this situation
3: you had to use logic and give a sensible answer to a ridiculous question didn't
1: you it was just a throwaway
3: question Mm -hmm. and you had to be good
1: I, I, I'm Fine. I'm sorry. I, I I apologize. Tell you what. How about <laughs> I I, How about I scale back by talking about how the production of this film came about and be goofy about it in the process because there's some goofy stories attached to this production. It's
3: it's your show, my friend. I'm just messing with you.
1: No, don't worry. I'm going to bring the goofy for (laughs) you. Good. (laughs) The gilk? Wow. Now, actually, you were talking about the acting. Uh, Randy Stewart, uh, who plays Louise, Mm-hmm. says in an interview that they kind of basically she and grant talked to each other and basically be, was they said to each other all right we could do this one of two ways we could treat this seriously or we can not take it seriously and yeah. they chose to treat it seriously and i actually mm-hmm. appreciate that there was even a decision process because it could literally just be a Lyle Talbot situation where you have somebody like not taking it seriously and just kind of running straight, being professional, but not digging any deeper and you get plan nine from outer space or you get what Grant Williams and Louise or Grant Williams and um, Randy Stewart are doing here because there is a depth to this performance and that Mm -hmm. that has to be there for the special effects to feel as realistic and for some things to be forgiven when it comes to the visual process of this film those effects don't work if that performance isn't strong enough to hold it um well the first the first half
4: of the film is entirely about their relationship and their relationship being torn apart by his illness and it is an illness because it's affecting their marriage and there's that line that beautiful line about how he says to her, "Look, you know your your wedding vows don't cover this. If you want to go, mm. I'll I'll understand." Yeah, and and she sort of sort of no, no, I'm in it till you know while you're wearing that wedding ring, and of course his his ring drops off because he's he's shrunken, which is you know nicely done. But it, it, if they'd chosen to not take it seriously, we wouldn't be sat here talking no. about this film because it would have been utterly disposable. It would have and been it an, would have been lost.
1: It would have been an MST3. Lost in, in, it would have been an MST3K episode. Yeah. Yeah. Plain, plain and simple. But possibly,
4: possibly not even that, because because I think I think it would have been absurd in its own right, and 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 mocking it further would have been difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that they um, take it seriously, because I have this real irritation with 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 films, you know, with this sort of twenty first century sort of we can't take anything seriously, everything is is ripe to be mocked. It really, really irritates me, and it's so nice to sit down and watch films that you know that, that do take themselves seriously, and and and, and you, you can watch it in a straight way and think, yes, I know the concept of a man shrinking is absurd. I know the concept of a man fighting a tarantula with a with a nail, you know, is daft, but it's also. This film is really thrilling. Yeah. It's very enjoyable to watch, and yeah, I I was tense mm-hmm. when a tiny man was running across a, a a piece of wood that was stuck to a at the top of a um a, 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 you know a chest of drawers with a bit of of, of mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 daft as it sounds, but
2: it's you know. I don't think that,
3: I don't think that's daft at all. I mean, no, I'm it's so glad I'm, I'm so I'm so glad you mentioned that bit as well because yeah, I mean that that was a bit. But I actually there was a bit where I caught myself not breathing. And uh, and it was the bit with the the trying to take the cheese off the mousetrap. Mm. And, and, and there's there's the, there's the clunk of of the mechanism, just sort of you know getting weaker and weaker as he's taking you know he's p- putting more strenuous effort into getting the cheese off the thing. And I was just and I, I suddenly thought. I haven't breathed for about a minute, <laughs> you know, mm. and it was just like—I mean, that's—you know—for this—for ki- that, this kind of film that you could—that could—I'm not saying we are, but that could be dismissed as a schlocky bit of fluff to give you that hmm. to give you that reaction. I mean, that shows you the power of these films, and—and and I agree with you there, Ben, as well—is that it's—it's it's wonderful to see to see this kind of picture and just sort of go, okay. The conceit is ridiculous, but then tell me a sci-fi story that isn't ridiculous. Exactly. Every single one. Yeah, but then you suspend your disbelief (laughs) enough and you get into this. And as you say, that opening, I don't know, five, ten minutes when you're breaking down the particulars of their their relationship. And by the way, the opening couple of minutes before the cloud hits Mm is just the sweetest sort of romance you know, just d- discourse that there is. I mean, it's so nice and lovely. I loved these this couple straight away. It was great. I didn't want anything bad I- to happen to either of them.
4: I- I've summed that up within my notes with "bought boobs, beer, big toxic clown."
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. It's absolutely fun. But the thing is, though. So as I say, yeah, you've got to suspend disbelief. Okay, that's fair enough. You've got to do that with any film. But there's some there's something wonderfully powerful about this film that when you, sort of, when you sort of look at it and you sort of go, well, this, this is so ridiculous and it's so silly. And it's like, but I actually cared. I was invested in these people. I was invested in their relationship. You know, so much so that <laughs> there was a line. It's such a throwaway line. And as I say, after he quote unquote dies, and the newsreader goes, um, "What was it? Uh, th- he perished by um, by an attack by by a house a domestic house cat." But the mm-hmm. house is no longer a resident. <laughs> Sorry, the cat is no longer a resident at the house. I thought, "Holy shit!" Eviction,
1: th- the cat? eviction. <laughs> It's what happens when you kill when you kill a shrunken man. You know you get booted out of your house.
3: Well, ah, but did he get booted out or did he get killed? I took it that he was got that got killed. So I was I was I was like, oh my god, they killed the cat. But yeah, it's just it was, I, I, well,
1: gi- given gi- given one of the production stories, I actually so like um for the for for prep for this, I watched this film with my girlfriend, and she um uh she, she was very invested in it. And it it it's an attest it's a testament to what you two are discussing right now. Yep. This film engages you. This yeah. film grips mm-hmm. you by the collar and does not let go until it needs to. And more to the point, I knew that it was effective for her in a way that isn't always the case with some of these older films because she started yelling at the television <laughs> and not yelling like not not screaming but like just like she's like telling him like just do that do that like she's getting invested in the character and telling the character to stop making seemingly dumb decisions sure. and i think it's not so much that they're dumb decisions it's more just like she's she's trying to look at the logic around it but i don't see i she when i help him. yeah when she when when you don't when you don't care about something, you're kind of just watching it and getting through it. Well, you're when passive. You care, you're,
3: not, you're not interacting.
1: Yeah, and the interactivity yeah. of this film, I think there are two reasons why it becomes that by the end. One of them is the special effects and the human drama attached to it. The other is little to no dialogue. There is, we are not engaged in dialogue apart from the monologues.
3: I, I will throw one more in there. I agree with you, but I'll throw one more in there, and one more is the score. Mm-hmm. The score the score is so bombastic um but um integral to what you're watching I mean okay, it's a cliche now you know the, the, everyone's sort of mocked it over the years Of you know certainly with horror movies of uh, you know of you walk in towards the forest and you hear the strings start up and it's like okay fair enough that is a that is a movie cliche, but where this is concerned, you know, say that spider had appeared, and there wasn't that clash of strings and brass and it's just sort of like holy shit you know and it, and it kind of comes out of nowhere and it batters you around the head and that's exactly what I want from a giant fucking spider suddenly appeared to get me you know yeah. I want to hear it you know and uh, yeah, yeah I, I think the score in this is uh, is impeccable. I think it's wonderful.
4: The other reason it's very easy to connect with the character the whole way through is that he's portrayed as selfish right from the very beginning, and I don't mean selfish in the loaded sense of the word, because it's very important that we place this character at the centre of the film. But even at the beginning, when he's asking for his bottles of beer, and the f- the film is all about him, mm-hmm. um, you know, we 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 subconsciously immediately sort of realise that this is a guy who thinks about himself a lot, and then when the film transitions to being entirely about him in in so much that he's the only human character, Mm -hmm. it's a very easy transformation from the first half to the second half because we've spent the entire first half thinking about him because he only thinks about himself. You know, all of the arguments he has with his wife are because he's only thinking about himself. To be honest, he's not a particularly nice character. I don't think. No, I I think he's quite, quite, quite even before he's taken by the shrinking image, he's quite unlikable. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but but particularly once he becomes sort of afflicted by it, um, you know, the way he treats people around him, uh, uh, with, with the aside from, from, from the carnival uh, worker who he bonds with temporarily, oh. but even then when he gets more bad news, he dismisses her immediately. Um, it's very easy to be sorely focused on him because he's sorely focused on himself.
1: Yeah, I actually, I'm glad that you bring that up, Ben, because this film took, two viewings for me to grasp into how I feel about Scott as a character and what's more learning more about like, well, where's Matheson's standpoint in how this character is supposed to be portrayed. Um, I think like, honestly, like after watching an interview with his son and learning more about where Matheson was at this point in his life, I don't know if I would have immediately pegged the ideas that, Matheson was going for right off the mindset because of one simple thing. I'm so used to fifties nuclear family aesthetic being questioned on a basic level that I've, I don't always connect the dots and dig deeper into it because it's, it seems like it's, it's overlaid commentary. Like it's, it's just, it's a basic template for how to make a film that upsets the established norm. But Christopher Matheson, his son, points to the idea that this is about the frailty of masculinity and what it supposedly is supposed to be. And so you're watching a guy who is supposed to fall into this archetypal norm of the 50s in what masculinity expects of him and watching everything slowly taken away from him bit by bit, whether it's purpose, uh, ability to satisfy others. The, the All the constructs that are designed by, by that nuclear family aesthetic, ones that Matheson himself, Richard Matheson himself, was struggling with as a freelance writer with no consistent work and a new family in his life. So I feel like the fact that we have so much time with him, the film is at once a sci-fi piece and at the other one a deconstructed domestic drama and it's sort of remarkable the way the two dance with each other.
4: Um, the the other thing to throw into that conversation is, and I don't like going too far into symbolism, and I know Smokey doesn't, but um, you know the one thing that's missing from this film is there aren't any children in it. No, and, uh, you know they've been married. They've been married for six years. Yep. So the w- one thing that you could pull into this is, is his descent into into sort of. Childhood. You know, small man mm. territory. Yeah, is that a symbolism for the fact that he can't reproduce, that he can't produce a, is he less, a child less himself? Than a man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I don't think we need to go down that avenue any further, but it is a conversation we could have at
3: length if we it, wanted to. It is there. I mean, look, I mean, this film is loaded. With symbolism it's it's inescapable you can't get away from it which is what inescapable but means that's why i use the word but um but then you, but you also you um are you padding for time no i'm not <laughs> i've just suddenly realized i was talking bollocks but there you go um but uh, but what uh, i i do want to pick up on there I, I mean you can throw symbolism i mean there's a there's a massive religious symbolism uh angle that you can throw at this film yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I think if I dig in too deep, I will get a little bit angry about it, so I'm not going to bother. But um, but also, what I, I'm glad you mentioned there, Zach, is that obviously Richard Matheson, his son, Chris, um, who was the writer for the Bill and Ted movies, which I think is... I mean, there you go. I mean, as you said, you've got this sci-fi bent about adolescence and maybe adulthood as well. I mean, look yeah. at Bill and Ted. They're, they're adults who are living as adolescents as well. You know, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, really, where, where writing is concerned.
1: Now but, I want Bill and Ted to go back in time and pick up Scott Carey and bring him to San Dimas in 1988. Pick <laughs> him up.
3: Bring, yeah, hold him up, hold him up and let him do their uh, school
1: project. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Of yeah. all the historical figures we've brought to you today at San Dimas High, the one you it, weren't expecting. Who's the smallest? <laughs> the one, the only, the most excellent. Napoleon,
3: he was the smallest.
1: <laughs> <Okay>.
3: <laughs> that's where the complex comes from. It, it, it what, would <laughs> what would he do
1: in the mall? What would he do in the mall?
3: I don't know. You, you go to the, the toy section and get out um, a game of mousetrap and play. Oh, that's it. There, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then just cue that song Do You Want to Play? Don't um, but, um yeah, now, It'd be great. yes, yes. Oh, and uh, Socrates and Billy the Kid hitting on women in the food court, which is, of course, the most hilarious thing that's ever existed on this planet. Until
3: secret pride um, comes and ruins it
1: all. Oh, yeah, he does, of course. He d- Zach, it's pronounced Socrates. <laughs> so, oh, yes, <yeah>, Socrates. <laughs> all we are is dust in the wind, dude. Whoa. Dust, <laughs> wind. Dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
1: Now, for the production of this film, there are some things that we were discussing about Grant Williams' performance and also just the, the larger picture at large that I want to get at. Matheson was able to find some comfortability from his anxiety because this story was purchased for $15,000, and he made it an insistent point that he write the script, and even though he had never written a screenplay, Universal was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, shows how rare. R- rare and also gutsy sometimes Universal would be, no matter who was running it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have uh, the attached producer here, Albert Zugsman, uh, Zugsmith. Sorry, he originally wanted Dan O'Herlihy O'Her- to uh, play the role uh, of Scott, uh, but O'Hurley did not want to be typecast in isolation roles like Robinson Crusoe, which he had done with Benwell. So instead they get Grant Williams. Um, I, I just and, wanted that
3: to be, he didn't want to be typecast as a tiny, tiny man. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that he'd done it before so many times.
1: <laughs> you don't really know much about shrinking men, do you? <laughs> you know where I'm going.
3: <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not touching that with a barge ball, mate. I'm, I'm, oh, I'll, I'll,
1: go, go, I'll go down to Colonel idea. Cochran's factory any day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, oh Damn. by the
3: way I should point out, okay, I was you know slightly well I wasn't slightly, I was very much joking about the whole method acting thing, but his performance is wonderful in this by the way. I mean granted as you say Ben, you know, he's not a very likable cal- character in this at all. But you still you do still have sympathy for him because of this you do. ridiculous Be- situation he's found himself in.
4: Because he seems genuinely you know it goes back to what you said about method acting. He seems genuinely distressed mm-hmm. about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And also he's a strikingly beautiful man. Yeah, he's very happy He's absolutely him. stunning yeah. as a guy. Yeah. yeah. And you know it is the, the hair is 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 impressive, yes, yeah. I must admit. Mm-hmm. Um but no, he's um because he's He's committed 100. percent That's why you're in on it. No, for, for no other reason. For me, yeah. yeah, is because I felt the sincerity oozing off the screen. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you're when you've got a when you've got a compelling face combined with a compelling talent like that, you want him on screen as much as possible. And Jack Arnold took advantage of that because this film broke a record. Uh, cool. This comes from Variety on July 11th, 1956. Indispensable Man. Grant Williams' title role for UI's *Incredible Shrinking Man* sets a new record for actor exposure in a single film. Williams appears in every one of the picture's first 145 scenes, sharing them with other actors. During the last 251 cuts, he is o- the only human being seen or heard on the screen. This previous record was held by Betty Davis for a movie called *The Star* in 1953. And
3: So I that was in a contract incredible.
1: as well. Yeah. <laughs> Look there at was the no title. Way that was an accident. <laughs> Look at the title. Do you know what it means? Yeah. Good. <laughs> that,
3: definitely, that definitely does sound like her. But I mean, yeah, yeah, think about it. So what? Couple of scenes between the misses and the brother. But I think it's.
1: I think it's literally until the news announcement when oh. you finally get him off screen when they announce the death. I think that's. Right. I if I'm recalling correctly, because like there's individual shots where it's just coverage of Louise but he's still in the scene. He is still in the scene and present, um, even though in many scenes they weren't shot together because of that. the processing uh, shots that were used in this film from the visual effects side. Something that I found wonderful is, we've talked about the black velvet effect and matting and um, optical printers on this show before. Uh, the innovation that they brought to here was that they actually filmed them on two different sets and found a line that matched so perfectly to put through together and into, into the optical printer. So and so, clever. and you get the interaction is so genuine. Mm. It's like it, we, we don't have to tread too much on this cause it's been discussed to death, but this is the innovation for acting in front of a green screen, mm-hmm. acting in front of a fake environment or a, a tennis ball. That's going to be Thanos, you know, like that, yeah. I know that's not how they did it, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that that kind of... Don't ruin it for <laughs> me. Josh for Brolin. Is, well, uh, I mean, did you watch No Country for Old Men? You clearly saw Josh Brolin was nothing but a tennis ball running <laughs> around the desert. <laughs> that's how they made that movie. That's how he was in The Goonies, in yeah. Milk, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, in Hail Caesar. Um, now, um, uh, but there was another star of this film a little cat named Orangey. <laughs> that was his Original name. Original with the name. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, he was um, uh, originally a cat star um, for a Paramount Film that uh, launched his own little career to, got to make over 500 films, but... Matheson has said that there was about 35 cats all told um, on the production of this film. So orangey had plenty of stunt doubles for each individual action, a little bit of a diva doesn't want to get on set unless he has to. Um, but uh, a lot of his effects were achieved by Jack Arnold, literally working with the trainer. And like there's in the interview, he shows storyboards of the cat, the directions in which he wants the cat to move is what he gets out of it almost to a like, artistic tea like it's mm-hmm. it's th- just the angle that he's wanting the cat to turn onto one side of the dollhouse versus another and he got much of that by dangling you know f- dangling uh i think it was dangling a little fake bird to get the reaction shots and to lead him to the house he had food hidden behind the house he'd show the food put it back behind there and then release the cat and the cat would just go to the direction he wanted him to go clever stuff yeah And the additional elements of this that uh, I'll talk about before we like jump into the plot a little bit here is that the special effects photography here at in post took about three weeks of work. And you have Clifford Stein as your special photographer on this film. And I think that this film sets itself apart from other sci-fi films because of the way it looks. Like it's moody it's atmospheric, and the special effects also complement to that. It would be easy to... the. There's only one part of the film that I felt didn't work, and it's only because of the limitations that they had at the time, and I can't... It's not a, it's not a mark against the film. It's just something you notice in the natural photography itself. But Clifford Stein does his photography as anybody else is doing the effects for the story. It has nothing to do with being flashy. This movie is not intent on being flashy without a purpose
4: i think it's it's helped by the fact that there isn't a great deal to compare it to as well Mm -hmm. and that's not me dismissing the effects but what what they're attempting to achieve here before this i don't think really there was a great deal of, of 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 attempts at trying to portray you know a small character against a massive sort of background yeah, um, which which I think worked to its advantage what I would say about the cat is and this is just me being a little bit flippant because I thought most of the scenes with the cat are excellent but um, had the cat really been toying with a small human it wouldn't have hissed and wild on like it would because cats love toying with little things. I rescued my a mouse from the garden from my cat yesterday, and she wasn't well and on. She was having the time of her life. If anything, she'd have been smiling if cats can smile because <laughs> she had this thing, and she was... You no, know, was she wasn't a little angry face. It was a little happy face. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, um, but I think um, all in all, it, it, as you said, I think you can see... Um, on screen exactly what you what you're you're talking about, Zach is the cat does exactly what the director okay. wanted to do, you know particularly in that scene where it gets behind the house and reaches in mm-hmm. for him you know and you can see yeah, the the, the, the cat has been well directed, and you could take that as a snippet out of context and use it however
1: you <laughs> want. i I genuinely wanted at some point to read that Stanley Kubrick was inspired by the cat in The Incredible Shrinking Man bursting through the door because that's a literal here's Johnny look on that cat coming through. He is pussy. B- <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now you can All right. Ben, 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 ben just came up with the subtitle of this episode. All right. And uh, now I've got to put asterisks in it. Thank you. What um, If we... If, if we can, since we're going into the plot more at this point, let's talk about that opening credit sequence, this, like, this massive explosion of dust, this radioactive energy blossoming out, and then the... the we were talking about the music earlier, the way the music mm. settles into this... I don't want to say lounge music, but it's it's melancholic. Like, right. a, there's a very heavy melancholy about it, and you see the little animation of the shrinking man itself, like... I, I don't know why, like, it it feels... It, it, I love the unique nature of it. Um, it's it's contemplative. It's not um, flashy. It's not trying to terrify you. It's not the blob. It's not Be the blob. Yes. Beware, Beware of the blob. It, it creeps, creeps links walls, it's 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 walls. <laughs> the walls, Two doors, the door. door. beds. Do 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 no, it's not. do just turned off the podcast. do <laughs> um, but, Noah, and we you were talking about the boat sequence and whatnot. There's the, some lovely... You were talking about the interactions and the lovely lines. My, I have to address my favorite one, which is... Gal- galley wench get me a flag and a beer we have no flagons sir no flagons Well, then how are we supposed to get to the Philippines <laughs> just lovely little lines like that those interactions right. yeah they're just that it's it's the couple's humor that's wonderful um but their happiness is short-lived because radioactive clouds encompass that boat uh and uh mm. he is doused in a lovely uh in a lovely a uh, dose of radiation complemented by chest glitter—that is just
4: yeah. It's, it's it's like a radiation cloud that's originated from a pride march. Yeah, really, isn't it goes it? very and, twilight on us, and
1: damn right yeah. on it too. You know, I hey, yeah, too right. Arguably, though, when it comes to any kind of monster or scientific oddity sparkling, Grant Williams. Better than Robert Pattinson, I'm gonna say yes. Yes, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'd look at that chest glitter all day long. <laughs> <laughs> ben
2: uh, seems nonplussed. <laughs>
1: Zach is free to live the life he wants to live. That's all I'm saying. Ben's like, I've seen better chest glitter. <laughs> when he was in Vegas, seen better chests and better glitter. <laughs> um, and then, but then we start seeing that he's beginning to shrink, and. I like how it kind of just the the domestic drama that we've got, like for the first half of this film is just incredible, but it's complemented by like the small things that Jack Arnold is doing with perspective. Mm. Like, I mean like the first time I ever learned about perspective and how it can be used for film with Lord of the Rings with the Hobbit stuff. Um, There's similar techniques in here with the way he's got the camera angled. um, And the one is when they, when they go in for a kiss And he talks about how you used to have to go up on your tiptoes for it. Mm -hmm. And then they go down and the way the clothes are draped down, like they're giving him intentionally oversized clothes or drooping things down. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's kind of a weird haunting insert shot.
3: I mean, it is really, really clever. I mean, there's also, um, there was one, obviously, he mentions it uh, later on when he's with the the fellow little person. uh, And obviously, Mm -hmm. he notices that. Yeah, thank you, Clarice. And he notices that she's suddenly now taller than him. Mm -hmm. But there's also a really subtle one, which is he goes to reach for the bathroom. I think it's the bathroom. He goes to reach for the bathroom door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the thing you do. A 100 times a week and if you suddenly realize that you're now below where your hand normally goes of just reaching for a door handle you'll go oh hang on yeah there is definitely something wrong here isn't it yeah um, which is so subtle but so clever
1: it's almost like you get to watch the 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 performances is a, a whole study in oh i can't do that anymore yeah. And you watch the this frustration build in him. Um, and the doctor the doctors don't know what's going on initially. And you know, he even tries to tell them going like, Ah, just don't worry. Everybody doctors don't know what the hell they're doing. They measure everything left and right. Yeah, like doctors
3: make mistakes all the time.
1: Don't you know yeah. that you're actually taller in the morning before you go to bed at night and then the yeah. weight of your body just collapses you down like a bowl yeah. full of jelly? Like that that thing it, it, like the the doctor in this film is actually funny because I love how he's just like don't worry about it and then you just see this horrified look on his face when he finally realizes like i i'm i'm so sorry we didn't now find we're just this in our... to worry about it <laughs> yeah just like uh... but, I, but
4: I, I I quite like that though because it, 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 it to me it's all about the understated nature of this decline because the first things you would i mean it's it's so realistic the first things you would realize as a person mm-hmm. is your clothes don't yeah. fit you know at first and then you start to notice other things you know and once you felt as though you you know you you had no choice you'd go to the doctor and the doctor's first job would be to reassure Mm. you because that's 90 percent of what a doctor's job is and it would be to say well of course people don't get smaller don't be stupid you know and of course it's most likely to be a mistake (laughs) because had he ever had people come to him before with oh i'm getting shorter which i don't imagine he did but had he had if he'd said Oh, it's probably a balls up earlier down the line yeah 99.9 percent of the time it would have been a balls <laughs> up earlier down the line um so what i really like about the, the first half is is it's a very sort of um realistic yeah. descent into something that's that's obviously hyper um you know fantastical yeah uh and i and i i feel as though bizarrely as it sounds if I'd been in that situation, it
1: would have happened more or less like it happened to him. <laughs> yeah, it becomes yeah. It, it becomes procedural for a little bit and not procedural like yeah, a yeah. prime one, but like medical procedural. Like he literally goes to the yeah. test. He's just like electrodes, radi- radioactive iodine, exam with a Geiger counter, electrodes fastened to the head. Water restriction tests, protein bond tests, eye tests, blood cultures, x-rays, more x-rays, COVID tests. No, wait, no, not that one. (laughs) Um, uh, But, like, he's going through this gamut of testing, and the imagery is showing us the process of trying to diagnose something. Like, it was kind of a chilling way to watch um, somebody drinking the barium that you— um. Uh, oh put yeah, down yeah. Th- barium meal. Yeah, the barium meal that yeah. goes in the X-ray. It was just like, oh, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> but
4: did did that whole process remind you of any other films? Because there's one film in particular it reminded me of. <sighs>
1: hmm. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's just a genuine question. I don't, uh, not off the top of my head. I'm, no, I am you know thinking that. of like Looney Tunes cartoons where they'll do that from time to time.
4: I, I mean, I mean, in in so much of the, of the sort of the whole medical procedure to try and explain the unexplainable. Hmm. Invisible Man. It reminds me of The Exorcist. Oh, you know, when, okay. When 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 Reagan is is submitted to is sort of the, arguably one of the most horrifying parts of that film. Oh, yeah. When uh, you know when, when she's subjected to the uh, the, the medical experiments in the blood mm. from the from the neck and all of that. It it it's that same concept of you know it's something unexplainable but the, the medical professionals
1: are pushing a person to their limit yeah. to try and explain it and they get the yeah. they get to, into that lightly in A Nightmare on Elm Street in the first oh, one I was
3: just going to say Nightmare on Elm Street yeah, they, yeah. they do it in the craft Absolutely. as well
1: yeah. yeah and Roger Rabbit's yes. telling you that there's nothing to be worried about but you can't trust Roger Rabbit <laughs> no you can't
3: he 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 got probate and prostate mixed up he doesn't know anything about that
4: so. yeah plus that his wife's far too beautiful for him he's punching well
3: above his weight on
1: that one also I'm fairly sure that he is the Zodiac killer because jake gyllenhaal was very very terrified of him in his basement um but yeah well i mean i would too if i was in charles fleischer's basement i'd be pretty freaked out i'd be like why am i in chuck fleischer's basement (laughs) yeah yeah
3: they they, they missed that bit out of zodiac that would have been awesome if they just sort of said you do know that's roger rabbit don't you (laughs)
1: <laughs> David Fincher just comes out like Hitchcock for his little cameo but just goes like hey that's a rabbit It <laughs> just walks away no that, no, it would be Bob Hoskins oh. <laughs> oh no yeah he comes out from the like they, they oh. do a slow pant slow like a, a slow shot Cushing in on a corner in the basement and Bob Hoskin comes out and goes, Roger! (laughs) Do you know we we've we've just his body
3: so many better films tonight. It's bizarre.
1: (laughs) Zodiac would have been a success in the box office if Roger Rabbit and a tarantula were in it. Who framed the Zodiac (laughs) club? Baby Herman's just like Robert Downey Jr. Baby, Baby (laughs) Herman's just going like I'm telling you, it's not Arthur Lee Allen. (laughs) No, oh no, oh no, no, That was a misnomer. Um, But so, but yeah, they go through all those tests to diagnose what he has, and he has this gradual loss of calcium, nitrogen, phosphorus. I love like the details that they put into it without getting super, super like they're not like. it's 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 specific, but it's not specific. Like it, it's almost like it's specific, but it doesn't matter. But it's dressing that it's nice uh, uh, uh writing uh, to to complement the situation. Um, I don't know how to explain what I'm wanting to explain.
4: Zach, <laughs> can I ask you as as as, a, as someone from from the United States? You know, there's um the constituents of protein that begin AA. Can you pronounce them for me? It's like it's a two word thing.
1: Oh well, I've always known it as amino acids.
4: Yeah, he says. I, I don't think that the actor had ever seen that word before. L- I know. <laughs> he, when looked he looked at it the- as amino acids. I I, I, I don't think anyone yeah, he, knew what
1: he was talking about. He re- pronounces it as amino acids, and I'm, yeah. so you think he looked at the script, going like, "What is this amino?" <laughs> what does this mean? That's exactly what I, I thought. And I just <laughs> thought maybe it's a dif-
4: different thing, but no. I'm I think just, he just
1: I'm know just know what it a means. simple farm boy, Jack. What the hell is this word? <laughs> I came to Hollywood with dreams. Of grand speeches in a fucking cape or some kind of crown, and you're telling me amino acid. (laughs) Um and but he pronounces every other word creatine cholesterol protein yeah he does all right with the rest he's but it's <laughs> amino acids it's like, sorry what? there's an there's an interview somewhere on YouTube years later with that actor where he's just like look nobody told me what an amino acid was exactly <laughs> look, Jurassic Park had not been invented yeah then, exactly so no one knew what amino acids were yeah fr- like how look how am I supposed to why why are you, why is the medical community blaming me for spreading false information? Oh, over the pronunciation of a mino acid. There I go again. Um and they—they'll f- oh, never live that down. No, he won't. No, yeah, on his grave.
4: We could—we could—we could, could at this point get into a whole uh, a sort of aside about how Americans can't pronounce certain words properly, but we'll not do that. Sir. Oh
1: no, don't worry. Um. Uh. B- but I will say that on his grave it does say can't pronounce shit for uh, shit at all. So, um. It, it's it's a very weird headstone out in the middle of Los Angeles. I don't know really why you would put that in the middle of a cemetery, but you know, whatever. Um. But... Did you know that herbs has a nature at the start? It's weird. Her- yeah, herbs. Yeah. Herb- so herbs strange, is uh, herbs. a lovely word, isn't it? <laughs> it's,
3: a, it's a beautiful word. It's, I, I don't know why people miss the first letter.
1: Rob. It's pronounced herbs. <laughs> is it, is it really fucking isn't Herbs. That? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Oh, yes, I remember. let not stop, Herbs the love bug. <laughs> no, Herbs the love bug. Herbs fully loaded. Erby <laughs> Erby the love bug. the love bug. Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan in Erby fully
4: loaded. Herbie
1: fully loaded. Inzi Orhan
4: in, in- Herbie <laughs> or the. Ur- <laughs> Ur-
1: Dick Van Dyke, when did you enter the Zoom room? <laughs> Ick and Ike. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Erby fully loaded. <laughs> Now, we find out that the reason that this happened is that there's a combination of, uh, he got, he was walked through tree spray one day while on his way to a store, and then it stayed latent in his body, and then radioactivity set it off. Kind of like in Angley's The Hulk, where he always had the Hulk power, but gamma radiation set it off. Or not. <laughs> it's a big
4: 50s thing, though. It's 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 the we don't really understand radioactivity. So let's make a, a, a sort of a, an aside about how we don't really understand this thing. So if we combine it with this thing that we also kind of understand. But, you know, who knows what might happen if it was exposed to the other thing. Um It's, you know, it's a massive 50s trope about radioactivity plus
1: something else. It's sort of a MacGuffin to a certain respect because it's like it's important, but it doesn't matter. Like it's it's, it's yeah, exactly. It, he cares about it. <laughs> Be- we care about it because he cares about it. But on the surface, it means nothing. It's we just know that he's shrinking. That's all we need to know. like it's like some of the best sci-fi tales, like the the explanation is broad. You know, like a Jedi can feel the force flowing through him instead of midichlorians. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Zach, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Um, and so Louise refuses to leave his side and we get um Richard Matheson in the form of God fucking with. Uh, fucking with Scott because of course his wedding ring falls off a symbol of doom amongst many that he's going to get it's actually funny there was a there was brought up the point that because it wasn't told in the uh, cut back and forth flashback to present sequences that some of the dramatic irony is lost in it but I I I personally think it's all there, pretty much for the taking. Um, I
3: thought it was a great scene. I thought he nailed it. Yeah, me too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think that, like those those instances of dramatic irony, like this, it's funny. It's almost like you'd want to figure out, like, well, what if you did cut it in flashback form? Like, if you were to find the connective tissue to do it, how would you do it? And I'm like, but it doesn't matter. Like, the irony still works exactly
3: yeah, that would have been too on the nose you don't you know i i, I you know forgive me i know americans are big on subtlety but that was subtle enough you know i think that was that was pretty sound Yep. but um but i mean there's there's this what why you don't need to show every little thing no okay no. but no. but Agreed. a guy's a guy's finger getting small enough for his ring to fall off and then just plop You know that was that was perfect. Yeah, I I haven't. I have got no problem with that at all. I would like. I would like to just uh, uh, highlight one tiny little uh, scene. It was just such. (laughs) It was. Thank you. And it was just. I'd also
4: like to point out the irony of him saying you don't have to highlight every tiny little thing as well. I I thought that was quite uh, good. um,
3: But a a scene that we obviously we'll probably get to a little bit more later. But um, is it a small scene? uh, It's a brief scene. Um, but just it was just obviously just a little we, scene, yeah. We, yeah. As we're saying about you know this isn't um, a tennis ball, you know, on a green screen for for the actors to do. But the scene when when he he walks past and he goes past the circus and he goes past the you know the the travelling sideshow and that mm-hmm. and just and just the simple bit of. The people walking past and just sort of going, you know, and just sort of looking in his direction. Mm-hmm. It's so subtle, and you've got this tiny little man who's crying his eyes out, who's you know, his brain is breaking. I mean, it didn't need to be flashy. It didn't need to to go crazy. It was just subtle, and you and you and again, no dialogue from him. You're just letting the sideshow announcer just talk over the top. I mean, that that to me was. Incredibly powerful, yeah. because okay, he he freely admits straight away that he ran away into the night, and he really, really shouldn't have done, mm-hmm. you know, and and but then just suddenly you're just watching this poor man just break. With, yeah. no, with no chatting, no nothing And it was, what what a fantastic scene It's probably my favourite
1: scene in the film I thought it was excellent but did,
4: did, did anyone else want to see the 840 pound woman Who wobbles
1: like jelly in the
4: uh, yeah, window air uh, but, all of us oh, did,
1: oh, 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 oh Let me, let me uh, The carnival barker in me must say this all the way through See Dolly Dumpling The fat lady who weighs 840 pounds When she sits down She quakes and shivers like a bowl of jelly On a cold and frosty morning <laughs> What? <laughs> And nice. then of course you have Flamo the flyer the fire eater which I think is a cousin of Gabbo the great. Uh, I don't know. I so. <laughs> um, Spyro the dragon or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. Tiny Tina who's really I this is something I wasn't able to figure out because the shot of Tiny <laughs> Tina is not Clarice. <laughs> nope. And my question was who fucked up here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of weird to show a little person actor on stage for that shot and then not have the little person actor playing the role. You can chalk this up to straight up
4: <laughs> just uh but but she she couldn't, could she? Cuz she they, they're filmed together as a comparable size yeah. in scenes. Mm-hmm. That's why they needed another actor yeah. to be you know, sort of but to be didn't alongside look him in the Didn't like it though, mate. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> it's, it's. So I can understand it, but yeah, as you say, Zach, she, they could have at least got her to play. The small person in the other that's scene that's where my yeah. logic is going w-
1: yeah it's it's because mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's like i'm not gonna lie it would be great if a little person actor got a role of substance in this film but if they're
4: yeah, they should have done because it would have been perfect sense but, Absolutely. yeah, but, yeah it-
1: but it's 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 such a weird inconsistency but then again scott's situation is 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 weird as it stands um i yeah. i wanted to take it back though to when they f- the the brother the brother first enters the uh, the film by basically explaining like because you're shrinking because you can't go to work you can't make money so all my funds have dried up and a journalist is offered to buy your story and hmm. the scene locks on only three key cuts between the brother Louise and the wide from behind the yeah. chair and I I I know that this might be seen as a little bit. Cheesy the way they cut to that reveal. I love it because it's holding for as long as it can before it makes that reverse cut to show him in the chair. And it's like, it's, it's a beautiful part of editing is that a certain edit can make or break the movie. To me, Mm -hmm. your audience participation in this film and your believability in this film depends on that cut. Because if you react to that cut of him in this, uh, this in the child size, in this oversized chair, this either goes ha 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 or oh my god and or maybe somewhere down the middle but like my my reaction to it was oh my god because grant's performance in the chair is not o- o- overarching melodramatic it's internalized he is depressed and oh, yeah. it isn't like it isn't um it, it isn't like a look at me look at me like that that you know mm-hmm. like I'm a monster thing he is just depressed his mode in yeah. here is I'm about to jump off a cliff um or a, I, I I suspect that in a cinema
4: th- there would have been a gasp mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if there wasn't and also it it left this scene left me surprised compared to la- when we see the later scene where we think he's in the same house as his wife and it turns out he's actually living in a doll's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was genuinely surprised, and I don't say this often in films, that they didn't employ the same tactic. Because I think it would have worked just as well yeah. again. They could have it, And done they easily. didn't they they really understated it. And I thought it's one of the few scenes to to the film's detriment where they didn't make more of the fact that, oh, he's not, you know, sitting on the couch with his wife. He's actually you know he's only six you know, inches tall. Yeah, but no, I completely agree, Zach. I, I I don't think there have been many people watching this who would have laughed, no. and that is to the um to the credit of the actors that are involved who have built this up to be a serious piece.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you said it the way you did as well, Zach. Which is that the that shot of uh, of um his wife, sorry,
1: Louise, What's Randy, Randy Stewart. You.
3: Yeah, of, of Louis, Yeah, and and then you have the brother, and and it wasn't until. I was sort of watching it and just going, wow, they're holding this shot for a really long time. Oh, that's why they're holding it. You yeah. Know? It is. The timing of it is is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, to to have that just sort of crash. And there you are, as you say, you're looking at him in the oversized chair. And, and, he, and as you say, he's not, you know, uh, how do I put this? He's not John Merrick. He's not the alpha man. And it's not look at me kind of thing. And it is, he's so timidly curled up on himself, you know, just sat in that chair.
1: Smokey, are you saying that he is not an animal? <laughs> oh, he yes, is I a am. human being. <laughs> he's a real boy. <laughs> I, I had to... <laughs> You opened. You opened a door, and I let myself in, and put my shoes on the mat proper.
3: (laughs) You did. You did, and you wiped your feet first. I'm very appreciative of that. But but no. But it is. It's it's a stunning shot. Um, The only thing I can think, Bendo, to what you said though, maybe they just thought they've already done it. Maybe they just thought, oh, yeah. do you know what? We've already done this trick once. Let's just stick with the straight and narrow, as straight and narrow as we can be of a of a small person living in a doll's house. Yeah. Let's not go for the shock value. The shock value is just around the corner with the cat trying to break its house into the house. You know what I mean? So yeah, I agree. I
4: I, I really agree. I just think it was um, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't criticizing them for doing no, no, it. No, I just I, think not, it's, no. A, it's it, no, no. I just think it's unusual that they didn't because I because I would have done. Yeah. As as a filmmaker, I, I think you think you. You've got, you know, it, the, those are the two shock scenes of the film, yeah. and I don't think there's anything wrong with playing on them. But I agree; I, th- I think it sort of bleeds horror. Yeah. And you know, when you when you when you work out for yourself, and obviously the audience members watching it for the first time, myself included, when I watched this. No, years and years ago. Now, when you work it out for yourself, but I reckon in the cinema there have been a lot of whispering of "Oh my goodness," you know, yeah. sort of it, it's sort of yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten second intervals when individual audience members worked it out for themselves that he's not in the house; he's in his own little house. Yeah. And it is, it's, 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 it's really shocking. Yeah, and really um, maybe the other way to look at it is is the restraint,
0: mm. uh,
4: you know, sort of shown by the filmmakers to allow this to sort of organically seep out. To the audience, rather than putting a, a sting on it, if you like, yeah,
3: yeah, maybe, maybe, the, maybe there's something to be said there about sort of letting it. Uh, I don't know, let letting it calm before you're going to hit another crescendo mm-hmm. of, yeah, as yeah. I, of, as I say, the cat attack, or of him falling down into the basement, of the spider coming, or, of whatnot, or the water splashing, or the what whatever you know. You you got these heavy punches that are coming around the corner. Just just have this little interlude of him being forgive the term but a spoilt little brat of going, oh can you just be quiet while I'm in my little house, you know. And it's <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe that is, maybe that's it. You just you just want to go down into that valley before you go right back up to the top of the hill again.
4: Because we've had the the, the, the heavy punch on a scene earlier, haven't we, Absolutely, of where it ends yeah. With, yeah. with him saying to the to, to his fellow small person I'm getting smaller again. Mm. And that's when we cut to this, isn't it? Yeah.
3: And yeah, and it- I mean I mean this is great. It's, sorry, Zach. I will no. just sorry, I'll just finish off with this. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. The peaks and troughs of this film. I mean it's it's a wonderful horror sucker punch, mm. isn't it? It's you're getting hit and then you forgive me, it's the chumba wumba thing. You're getting hit, you're getting back up again, you're getting hit, you're getting back up again. <laughs> and it's and I think now that I think about it more, this does this to absolutely wonderful, wonderful effect. Sorry,
2: Zach.
1: No, 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 no. I'm glad you brought that up because, like the, it's not so much that I can would want to draw comparison to any specific film, but I think that there's there's been a lovely trend of sci-fi horror films, especially that because of their nature. I think Alex Garland actually does this pretty well, where you have moments to breathe with these characters in between the terror ex machina um has I'll, I'll give you x back now I'll yeah that. um yeah, that's fair enough yeah, yeah. Um, um i mean which i guess means i won't be bringing up my love of annihilation today but <laughs> uh, no, it's okay it's right. um, i'll give you so i'll give you give you some yeah let's not talk about men yeah no. exactly no. i haven't seen men yet um Oh, well, apart from the, the ones I'm talking to, to right now. hey ben, ben, Oh, <laughs> ben, ben
3: did not uh, rate uh, men very highly. On ah,
1: there you go. Well, I mean, I'll I'll tell you my thoughts on it. But my point being is that the, mm-hmm. there are moments in sci-fi horror as of late, and I think that this is one of the forebearers of this, is that we are allowed to sit sit with our characters and learn more about them. I feel like Alien sure. Alien has that, uh, has that to a T. We are
3: the the thing is the entire movie that is yeah know,
1: so. the thing has is is all centered around their personalities and it plays into the horror sure. of how we deal with, with 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 the alien that replicates itself and confuses everybody and makes kurt russell get very angry and yeah. <laughs> um and, but the when we get to the cat sequence though like i will bring up the only time where my believability was taken away
3: Oh, yes, you mentioned this earlier. What was
1: it? It's not, it's, uh, to be clear, it does not take away the impact of the scene. But I didn't fully notice this right away because I took it for granted on the special effects that it was just going to look like this no matter what. But Craig Barron on the Criterion pointed out that there's no shadow on Grant from Grant Williams in the scenes where he is walking in front of the cat or being tussled by the cat once they're outside of the house. And he explains the reasons for the technological development of the time. There's not a way to really get shadow into that matting process and that optical that, that printer not process. It bothered you that much though? It, it it didn't. But I was just like, I wish, I wish somehow that they had chosen a different way to 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 do that. But at the same time, I've said this about any film of this era with visual effects that seem dated from people. I have put myself in this world so much that I allow myself to believe it. I don't care if I see the lines from the optical printer. I love the character and his journey. And so I will believe everything that is going on. It's the suspension of disbelief that I still possess. The first time I watched it, I wasn't thinking about it. That's the power of the film. Now, as I'm going back to rewatch, I am seeing the lines but it doesn't ruin it for me. It's not like I'm going to have a mark Good. about it. I wanted to Good. point it out.
4: Zach, Zach it's, it's it's interesting you say that because the, o- the only note in my notes that I've got about the actual production or, or the limitations of it are the scene where he rushes, and this may be um, a difference between the, the version you've got and the version I've got, is the scene where he rushes to the top of the stairs to tell his wife that there's been a miracle breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And you can see through his trousers. Yes he, he is yes. the invisible oh, yeah. man. Yes. And that and that's the only bit where I thought cuz my wife came in at that point and said are you watching the invisible man? I said no I'm watching the incredible shrinking man. <laughs> she said oh I thought it was the incredible invisible shrinking man. I said no that's two films you comp- you're conflating together. But um that was the only the only point that I watched it and thought, you know, I again, like just. I, I'm not going to echo what you said. No, 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 exactly You're, as you said. It does doesn't doesn't bother me, but you know.
1: No, but I'll, it, it, did, it did bother my girlfriend. She was just like, "Oh my god, that doesn't look good at all," and I'm like, "No, it, it didn't." <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> I, I thought it, I thought it was a new
4: affliction. The first time I saw it, I, knew, I thought it was a new affliction. Oh my god, he's small and he's also In- going invisible.
3: He's going transparent. The invisible, <laughs> exactly. the
1: invisible shrinking man. That's yeah. Could Claude Rains pull that off? I don't know. Because his ego probably he probably wouldn't allow... Where's <laughs> Bella Lugosi when we need him? <laughs> look, 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 Jack. I can not only shrink, but I can also disappear while still being in the room. You're telling you me go. that I cannot do that? Fine. I'll go work with that <laughs> crazy young man who believes in grave robbers from outer space. Um, yeah, there we go. Uh, now, uh, no, um, I, I... I think though, like the beauty of it though, is is that like if we're, I think it, we take it for granted as fans of these of film, no matter what the era and what the year, that we can allow our disbelief from it. But you know, I'd almost want to like see how people react on a case by case basis I think we're <laughs> yeah exactly I, I would I would I would tell them to go F themselves at that point because I'm just like you just yeah, don't yeah. like magic you guys don't like the machine gun yeah, or- leg and Grindhouse either you know like
3: <laughs> oh what no yeah
1: well people, people yeah exactly, exactly. People, you, you don't want a
3: woman with three boobs in total recall what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> I took it to the extreme.
1: That no, that that's a good, no, it's that's fine. a fair point. One for each hand in this. It's it's that's <laughs> three boobs, for, uh, three boobs on a woman, and machine gun legs are mm-hmm. all symbolism of the magic of movies.
3: <laughs> I think so. I think so. probably I mean, the magic know, of boobies. The <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, there's another title he's given you now. So. But the, the the thing is, though, is that I, I didn't notice there wasn't a shadow cast by him in the, in the cat scene. Um, if I watch it again, will I notice it? I will now. But will it spoil my enjoyment of this film? Not in the slightest. And I only... It's like, uh, as we've said before, sorry, I'll just say, it, what we've said before, right, especially with sci-fi, you've got to suspend disbelief. Yes. Right? You've got watching about a fucking shrinking man for fuck's sake. Yeah. So I, am I going to let a shadow bother me? No.
1: no. You know. No, I only bring it up because from a technical standpoint and historically. Oh, I his- I'm not having to go with yeah. you, mate. I'm no, just saying. No, I think it is good to bring it up to from the perspective sure. of like this is where the tech- technological advance had set. We have a lot of things that are perfections of the black velvet process and optical printers. But we also see, okay, well, where do we now have to. Uh, learn from based off of what comes off of this one. Actually, the Light and Magic documentary on Disney Plus right now, which is covering the history of ILM, has a mm. scene where they're talking about how do I get rid of these matte wines that are seen clearly and visibly in Star Wars.
3: Sure. So but, I mean, but they've been doing that since the '90s, so that's that's fine. But then, but then you know, we're, this is Universal. This this is. The firm who popularized rubber bats on strings. Yeah, you know. So I think they've come quite a far way. I mean, look, look, go back to what we're you know what we're coming up to in our next few years on House of Hammer. We're coming up to some kind of crappy plastic bats at some point as well when we get to the Dracula movie. Yeah. So you know, we, it, I I can't. Let those things bother me when I'm watching a film, because if you spend your entire time looking for plot holes or continuity errors or, or just anything like that, just it's going to ruin the film for you. And so, just just let yourself get washed away yeah. by an incredible shrinking man, yeah, who. <laughs>
4: I mean, but let's just take the out of context. Please let yourself get washed away by an incredible shrinking Speaking man. Speaking of Coming washed soon, away, the theaters this New this sounds,
3: sounds like it sounds like an advert for a um, uh, a travel company, doesn't it? Like an, a, 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 <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or a or a soap
1: on a rope that's like a small man.
3: There you go, like like a like a like a bottle of like a bottle of matey, Look, just waiting for you. Yes, belly, yeah. Bally Bally who man.
1: hasn't got any merch in its stock yet, but now it there does. Shrunken yeah. man. Ding, ding. So,
4: take
3: a shrunken man into the shower, <laughs> <Take it. laughs> and he'll get you. E- and he'll get even
1: smaller. Now, careful! That's what Melania did with Donald Trump. Hey, oh, hey, oh! We got a great show for you tonight. Don Rickles is coming on board, and later we'll be talking with Bob Hope. Play me out, Doc. Um,
3: take my wife, please. Yeah,
1: any yeah. young men? Yeah, get a violin please. in my hand. No, but uh, speaking of washed away he's about the to be washed away by a bunch segue. of water from the from the from the mm. furnace but he so the cat chases him down into the basement and we are basically led into the survival film that is yeah. i want to say what 80% silent <laughs> um yeah, in, pretty much is yeah. the apart, from,
4: apart from the 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 sort of the um the, the narration that's the word I'm looking for. Yes, the the the, the talky over bit. Yeah, um, that he does. Uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's it, it's entirely silent. Tough. but it's um it's, it's very very effective because it tra- transitions beautifully into Words one mean. film into the next. Because you know it's totally believable that he's he's a man out of his environment in these rags yeah. that apparently mm-hmm. he's made sure. for himself out of out of rags. <laughs> um, and you know immediately you think well yeah it would be very difficult you know he's got to find food luckily she's left some cake and there's a there's a mousetrap as we've just as we've discussed earlier mm-hmm. but yeah everything would become your enemy wouldn't yeah. it? yeah you know
1: and and uh, I, yeah, I mean luckily it, and god would play terrible tricks on you if they, if one were to believe in him because when he tries that we talked about the mousetrap earlier but of course that cheese mm. would fall down the drain of course nothing has worked out for him drain cheese what's so the- drain cheese yeah drain
4: cheese <laughs> tasty yeah. <laughs> that's what my notes just say drain cheese oh no Drenchies. Yep, cheese this but um, i've got i've got a question for you zach uh, again it's 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 my, my I, i've been to the united states several times but i i don't have enough knowledge to answer this question this is based in la isn't it this film
1: seems seems um,
4: like it um or some kind of I, they, they did they did, in, in the news report they do say and a story from our la news desk yeah. so i'm thinking it's la um, do you get tarantulas in L.A.? That's all I'm asking. No, no.
1: That, I don't believe they're native. Um, to be to <laughs> right. be fair, so, so it's,
4: a, it's a pet in the basement is what it is. It, is it's it? a
1: pet in the basement, and I'll tell you why it's a pet in the basement because Jack Arnold tried to put, film some Black Widows, but he found yeah. them Ooh. untrainable and virtually unfilmable. Like Perspective-wise, they didn't give him what he was, I was wanting. I was
3: reading about that earlier, yeah. It was just it, to, to, to make it a sort of... Even if it was your common domestic house spider, it was never going to react to what they actually needed to happen. Yeah, So they had to right. kind of uh, corral... <laughs> a random tarantula into doing the work for them. It was a bit sure like a spider. It was a bit like Home Alone. They had to just make do with what they had. So yeah, it does say yeah. he tried
1: to recruit a Spider Man at some mm. point. Um, but uh, but spider the Spider Man, Spider <laughs> Man, because <laughs> he, but he, because because in his words, Jack Arnold said a Spider Man can do do whatever a spider can. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, 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 he wasn't yeah. available because Probably Stanley a pig can do that as well. So. <laughs> you know what would be great. <laughs> If this, if instead of the spider, spider it was pig? just Toby, Toby McGuire walking around on all fours. <laughs> At least
3: it is isn't Andrew Garfield. So there
1: we go. Ah, <laughs> shots fired from international <laughs> waters against Andrew Silence Garfield. Um, hey, he's one of ours. We're allowed. That's, that's, that's fair. Now, I will tell you with the tarantula, though, I found it rather sad. So, like, obviously they used multiple tarantulas, um, mostly directed by a puff of air. Um, so you puff a little air, poof, and then they get moving. Um, yep. Puff the magic tarantula. <laughs> lives in the basement. Well, just the shelf, so. he does live on a shelf. He wanted to. lives on a shelf. This is, this is the sad part, though, that uh, apparently... They all died. Well, a good chunk of them did. Randy Stewart apparently told Tom Weaver for Keep Watching the uh, in an interview... Randy Stewart told Tom Weaver that overhead lamps on the sets needed to be cranked up for lighting purposes, which led to the deaths of 24 tarantulas—death by uh, light heat. Um, I thought they liked hot. I thought they were like apparently hot
4: not that much spiders. Well,
1: you could say it was a little too hot to handle. Nice, too cold to hold. <laughs> they <laughs> weren't hold the Ghostbusters, and they're in control. They weren't hot to trot. <laughs> I don't know.
3: <laughs> um. you, you
4: can eat them though if they're baked in the under the light. Ah, yes. Did, uh, no, did no one else think
3: that? By the way, did no one else think that? By the way, when he finally kills the spider at the end, it's just like I'll go find a match and like make a little bonfire and you yeah, oh. Of, oh. If, if some, I some roasted tarantula instead of going for stale cake again.
4: But he went. Oh, he, tarantulas have a massive ass. To be fair, this like you know, yeah. three days.
1: Oh, tarantula, me, tarantula rump roast is a is a delicacy known <laughs> only to a few people. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well we're spreading the if word. you've
1: been rare enough to have been shrunken down kill the tarantula and then cook his rump
3: <laughs> all I'm saying is there's there's available meat there so before you lose your mind and go and make your peace with god have
1: some barbecue <laughs> I meat. want you to open up open up a butchery <laughs> with that <laughs> mindset in mind spider <laughs> Purely spider-based. That,
3: tarantulas aren't that common in this country, Zach. I'm sorry. S- but, smoky uh,
1: smoked yeah. meats with featuring tarantula rump roast. There you go.
3: Well, you'd like have them in a, like a, a bag of like uh, pork rinds, wouldn't you? Like pork scratchings, and so you just ah, yes. <laughs> tarantula skin and. <laughs>
4: I know I'm a vegetarian, but even if I wasn't, I would not eat that shit, mate. <laughs>
3: well, I could flavour them for you.
4: I, I, that just makes it worse. <laughs> that just makes it worse. Because the way you phrase that, Sm- I don't want to know what's going in that bag. Smoky special sauce? <laughs> Yeah. Well, what yeah, happens exactly. in
1: yeah, what just... happens in Smokey's kitchen stays in Smokey's kitchen. <laughs> well, no, yeah, quite if it, li- quite literally, if literally it's, Zach. If quite it, not, literally, not if
3: it's going on Ben's plate. No,
4: no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going on my plate. It's going out the fucking window.
1: <laughs> now, um, another <laughs> another part of the uh, the tarantula bit, to my mind, too, is that like. <laughs> it's a monster move it becomes a monster movie to certain respects and i yeah do, he, he
4: even refers to it sorry zach as the tarantula monster which i does. think is, to, is is excellent
1: yeah so the to my mind it's just like yeah it's not really a it's not a spider we'd find in the house but like i don't know it's it's going back to Smokey's Smokey's uh, uh, uh monologue there about suspending the disbelief and just enjoying yeah. yourself I don't care my girlfriend brought it up and I'm just she's just like that's not a real that's not a spider that's a tarantula and I'm just like yeah but enjoy movie yeah. <laughs> here <Yeah. laughs> watch you like I mean now granted though <laughs> Zach lost the power of spider that's <laughs> <laughs> what happens when I movie good yeah. <laughs> spider bad <laughs>
4: It is. Also, we've all seen the uh, the recognised uh, documentary um, arachnophobia, arachnophobia, which would which would, uh, which would tell you that um, that uh, tarantulas don't make webs like that as well. They no, make they big, don't. scary webs. They don't make yep. tiny tiny money spider webs.
3: This movie would have been improved with John Goodman, by the way,
4: and, and a nail
1: gun. <laughs>
3: and a nail. Oh, everything's improved with a nail gun, John- like lethal weaponry.
1: John Goodman as the tarantula with a nail gun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> three, I'm
1: sorry. Oh there you go. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a uh an element to 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 speak on, you know, like this monster effect and the the webs, which first of all, those webs, not only could this tarantula not make a web that size, but it can't make a sound that goes poing. <laughs> no. Um no. which and you <laughs> if you only
3: Kevin Costner can do that in principle.
1: Yeah. If you watch though the the Criterion featurette on the special effects. Ben Burt talks about sound effects, which he actually supposes that because Jack Foley was on the studio payroll that it's conceivable that the man who created the Foley system was responsible for the was. Foley effects in this film. And he, cool. he uses an example of what he supposes the web spring effect sound effect is by holding down to slinky and tapping a slinky and there is nothing more adorable than the man who created the voices of r2d2 and chewbacca just playing with a slinky at random like it, it, it uh, out of context it looks like a man gone mad <laughs> um
3: that's awesome by
1: the way yeah i just love that fact that's i l- wonderful i love it it's it's I love that this film has like the last bastions of a lot of the people who would innovate the tech all working on the same projects. Um, you had Andrew Latell's. Like, let's talk about that match too, for a minute, like the set design and the, and the set construction sure. of this film okay. fucking elaborate. And that yeah. the recent restoration on it, it looks beautiful. It looks gorgeous. That match and that match lighting. It's still fantastic. Mm-hmm. It still works. Oh, I see that. That
4: that's an incredible scene. I must it's admit wonderful. that is that is it's really terrific and testament to the the producers that uh, you know the, the the creators of that scene that made it look so damn efficient. I must also say, Zach, and again, Smoky, I apologize, while while you're on the, the you know talking to me. I, I live within a hair's breadth of where the friction match was actually invented. It was invented in 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 a in a, in a town called Stockton on Tees, which is about four miles away from where I live. So, all, all batches like that were invented very close to me. Woo!
3: <laughs> Ben's got <laughs> so there. You go. It's it's all right, Ben. L- last time I was on the show, uh, I blew Zach's mind by saying I live in the place where Kit Kats come from. So. We're, we're, well, there we go. We're you, waddle, see, you see, Kit
0: Kats, I,
1: matches. I, I li- it's, we've got everything you need over here. I, I know it's maddened. I live in one of the first states to legalize weed, and also make Celestial Seasonings tea. Does that count as cool? It's, it's, yeah, it's I no friction. It's no. Don't, friction. Don't, it's, it's, no, it's no. It's no. Match or Kit But it's still d- good. Don't humor me. I know. I live in a shit hole. <laughs> no, we're, we're just. We're just trying to make you happy. No, no, all. no. I get it. Colorado is a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I mean, we, we invented the railways and, you know. John Denver isn't even from fire, here. Fire effectively, but whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> the Industrial Revolution.
1: Yes. It doesn't, exactly. doesn't yeah. count. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> no, None of that counts. Um, yeah. Another piece of sound, se- special effects that carries a fun story that we should talk about, though, too, is the water dripping. Uh, that oh, water dripping. Right, yeah. Now, I didn't know how it was done the first thought that I had was, oh, clearly it's water balloons. Clearly, there's nothing else. I, I read else. that today as well, Michael. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the, this is actually a consistent of 100 condoms placed on a treadmill so that they would drop in sequence. And apparently Jack Arnold got the idea because one day he found in his father's drawer a condom and just filled it with water and threw it around to see what, he could, what it would do. Um,
3: the, there's a, the, did you notice the shot though? Because once I read that, um, about the the sort of the uh, water-filled condoms thing, I was I was watching the 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 water scene with great interest. <laughs> there's, a, there's a scene. There's a scene where a drop falls down, and and he goes to catch it, and he catches it, and he obviously does because it obviously breaks in his hand, and the water goes everywhere. But he has to negotiate past the. Latex and then to drink the water out of his hand. It's 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 a minute moment, it lasts maybe two, three seconds. But yeah, if you watch it, you can see him navigating so he doesn't ingest anything. I'm thinking of I'm
1: thinking about a potential onset prank that I hope never happened. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, oh dear dude. God. Used. Don't do that, yeah. dude. You're better than that, man.
1: I know I'm better than that, and at the same time, I can't get the image out of my head. <laughs> Jack Arnold just going like, ha, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Jack off Arnold. Jack off Arnold. There you go. He, we got we've we've got the incredible shrinking man is a is a sincere title for a sci fi <laughs> epic, but also a porn parody. And Jack He's Arnold lovely. and his brother Jack off Arnold were innovators in both fields. He's not shrinking anymore. <laughs> There's your tagline.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, Ben's face looks so
4: disgusting. Ben. <laughs> Even on someone else's podcast, we're dragged down to the base level once again. So I oh, uh,
1: ben, I, I have unfortunate news for you. I, I live in the depths with Smokey on occasion, and um, it's she nice. Does. I rent a condo down there. and um, you know, Great, I, brothers and jizz. Yes, very Smokey very,
3: it, very right. reasonable rates as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, shoot. I, I, I mean, at, at this point, with the economy the way it's going, like I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to buckle down and get more property out there down in Hell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Get get it while it's good now, and then when the market turns. Pronounced your. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now. The uh, the the water sequence though the flooding of the basement though that's a key one and that oh it's wonderful the the the, the there's a commentary that I wish I would have gotten to listen to by Tim Lucas for Arrow because I don't have the Arrow release but apparently there was twenty minute delays in filming because of ba- of a bad camera cable and then there was delays from uh from early parts of the morning to allow water drains to happen so that the crane could be properly used so. This this sequence was consistent of nine hour work days, and in between you'd have the actors taking publicity. So I just love the scale and scope of this. You clearly have it in the tank, in the water tank at Universal, and then you're matching it with those shots of uh, of the regular sized actors coming down to the cellar because she's got to get that one specific handbag before she leaves for good, and it's just kind of remarkable to watch the scale and scope on an intimate level. Like this is the thing, like this movie takes place primarily in a basement and yet it's treated with the same epic grandeur as maybe Cecil B. DeMille would with the parting of a red sea. Like it's remarkable to look at how that scale and scope is approached. And that also falls in line with the sequence of him trying to get over that large gap between the paint the paint stick and the other side of the ledge to get to the Mm -hmm. cake uh the way they combo a a practical shot of an actual paint stick going up with that large plank of wood like it's brilliant i i I just love how seamless it is like it is truly seamless despite the one comment that i made about the shadow thing this movie's pretty fucking seamless yeah and yeah
3: it's it's spawned
1: and, but the, uh, all of his hopes for being discovered and possibly saved circle the drain, much like he does on top of that pencil. And mm-hmm. he basically looks, he, he, this leads to the ultimate confrontation with the spot, with the spider tarantula man thing. <laughs> it leads to the confrontation with Bella Lugosi and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, just watching the, Watching the battle unfold and him getting smart about how to thwart his enemy and like you're you're watching like you're watching a MacGyver or a McGruber scene in action <laughs> with him going like, well, what if I take the hook that I've made from this pin, pin cushion pin and then I put it onto the scissors and use it as a weight? But of course, like everything in this script, Matheson is going like, "Oh yeah, but what if that doesn't work?" <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, and you, you don't put all your eggs in one basket because it's it's not going to end up as the, the the way you think. It's that's that's not the way this film has been going for the entire time. So why should it change now? Exactly. You know?
4: I must I must admit when I watched this the first time when that happened because what happens is um, obviously he ties the, the the string to the scissors yes. which mm-hmm. are up on the ledge where the spider is. Mm-hmm. And he ties the other end to the the, the crooked um, uh, nail that he has. He manages to somehow <laughs> miraculously hurl the uh, the nail and, and sort of impale the spider, <laughs> and 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 he pushes the scissors off. But the a knot in the in the string catches on a sort of crack in the wood, in yeah, the, um, in the masonry, yeah. So, so the, the 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 string snaps and the spider is 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 sort of still free. And I'm just watching this, thinking, "Oh, come on, give a little man a break. <laughs> you know, let, no, let him have one. Yeah. He's had none so far." Yeah.
1: Well, actually, the the theme of him always finding some sort of dramatic irony come across his way will play pay off by the end here. Like, because it's one of my favorite things to think about not just from a film perspective from a life perspective too but um so but he does defeat the spider with a nice good old stab and you get a ton of blood and, and it's, that was cool yeah Ooh. it was nice it was nice to watch that kind of like visceral like albeit quaint violence coming off of the screen at that point like it's i love i love watching blood in early films prior to let's say a hammer or even the sixties with your buckets of blood. This, this is just a nice goopy drip down. And um, I, I appreciated how it all blends seamlessly with the visual effects. Like it's kind of like watching a Ray Harryhausen scene, except instead of stop motion, we're seeing an actual tarantula or some kind of puppetry. Get it by the end.
3: That, that up, POV as well, yes. You know, looking directly at the at the abdomen and at the face of the spider mm-hmm. um, is 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 a genius shot as well, um, which I think you know you could you could level at uh, as previously mentioned arachnophobia. But also, do you remember the film? Um, Uh, evolution as well
1: yes i do
3: remember that you know that 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 yeah me too i mean but um you know but um that that shot at the end of that film that it's got a lot a lot to this as well it wouldn't surprise Um, me
1: if ivan reitman clearly watched enough uh, enough sci-fi and horror from that era to influence much of his career
3: very much so go on ben what were you about to say go on Unfortunately, I watched that
4: film in the last month, and it is the, one of the most sexist, awful films that I've had to. Un, 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 I, I loved that film the first few times, but I watched it with it with twenty first century sensibilities, and it is a very deeply uncomfortable watch. Oh, uh, really? But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, the, the female characters are not treated well in that, that would, film at all. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the um, what I would say is about the going back to the the better film hmm? um, is that. Uh, uh, th- what we get is a sort of clinical, um, a sort of uh, sanitized death. So yeah, one one nail and the spider's dead, suits the film down to the ground. Because mm-hmm. yeah, but nail up there, bit of goo, it's gone. You, mission you could say he nails it. You could say
1: he nailed it.
4: it, 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 it we, 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 we could, let's not say that, but we could say that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but it, it, and then it, uh,
3: it, it it opens
4: us up for. Um, <laughs> For the for the, the the last sort of minute of the film, which is welcome to making a podcast with
3: Ben. Zach. I love. Oh my
1: God, Ben! Thank you for putting me in my place. It took it's it took part. now what I'm roughly to eighty episodes for somebody to finally say enough. Yeah. <laughs> Just now, it's right. I've I've worked
4: with the best, stroke worst so it's uh it's fine.
3: You 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 choose which is which. Yeah.
4: <laughs> no it depends depends which way the winds blowing oh, This is probably. true. yeah but
2: no go anyway sorry, yeah keep go going i'm sorry but, yeah
4: no all i was gonna say was which which leads us to the last minute literally the last minute of the film mm-hmm. which is is where things take a philosophical
2: turn yeah mm-hmm.
1: the 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 context for it is prior to this he does see this little opening in the um in the basement that's like a basement. little little a uh, great it's like a it's like a vent, isn't it? A vent, so yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And, he, and he'd seen he'd seen a bird out there before and he tried to feed it a bit of cake and it wasn't having any of it. And then he shakes so, it and
1: laughs with pain. <laughs>
3: like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and this, is, as you say, this all goes very philosophical. And if you wanted to, which we're not going to, well, I'm not going to, but you could get very theological about this. And there are very many arrows that point it towards that way. In fact, the entire film does from pretty much beginning to end um, whereas I'm going to resist from doing so and just sort of say that it's in fact no I'm going to ask you to it's not my show but I'm going to ask you to a question Um, do, do you like the ending that's it basic question do you like this ending I do Ben
4: I I I do, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I think that it, it it's you know I'll, I'm not going to ex- expand too much, but I think it's the only logical conclusion mm. that it satisfactorily can come to is so much that he he, he basically dissolves into being sort of a, a molecular level and basically smurges into the universe, <laughs> and it's basically saying that we're all part of something. And reg- I, I I take your criticisms on board, Smokes. You know, knowing you and knowing what you're saying about the sort of theological thing, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't think it's like a religious thing it's just a kind of it goes down that base thing of we came from something we go back to something Mm. and look oh i in my in my death throes or my my sort of shrinking throes i (laughs) realize that i'm i'm part of something and i'm about to return to it yeah
1: that's that's all
4: i
3: got from it i go
1: that's fair enough i got i got the i got this optimism out of pessimism angle on things that doesn't carry with it a theological realm i think the closest that i find any allusion to theological for my interpretation of it is just when he says the word god in the monologue like god has no zero or god silver tapestry those things do not enter to me that the theological realm it has to more do with i guess the scientific and the cosmic with the idea that like well okay This universe is fucking huge, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. to put it bluntly. So, of course, there is no true limitation to what we know and can conceive. So just because he's shrinking into the infinitesimal does not mean he's going to die necessarily. And I think, oddly enough, a film that is heavily inspired by this, which is the Ant-Man films that have been put out by Marvel, I think have given me the base concept to ingest this ending on a level that isn't theological and it has everything to do with the idea of different realms and dimensions because they literally go like, they literally shrink down to, to the quantum realm in order to pick up Michelle Pfeiffer because w- why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, well, we all would. <laughs> yes, we all did. We all try to do it every day. and We keep failing. Um, yeah. But uh, my point being though, like I kind of look at it as like you know he's had every fucking little thing thrown at him in the form of dramatic irony frustration you know how you're walking through life and you think oh my god it cannot get any worse today and then something else happens or you mm. feel like things the world is conspiring against you and he comes to this revel- this form of acceptance that he obtains by the end having conquered his world he knows that it's all for nothing because he's going to dwindle into nothing. It's like the idea of like, oh, we're going to die anyway, so what does it matter? Yeah. He yeah. he learns in a weird way, he learns to not become a nihilist. But um, I I think that there's a part of it to me is just like, no, like I, the part of my acceptance of what my fate is, is the potential to know that my fate in this world is sealed but that doesn't mean that another world won't be able to carry my ability and my uh, and my and my form and in a, in a certain sense it's just like how big is this world, this universe that something like that couldn't not exist? And I, I, mm-hmm. I take something like very optimistic out of it. Like there's, a, there's affirmation to be found. I don't find it in the idea of like, I'm going to heaven. Uh, I more look at it from the idea of just like, you know, nothing really ever ends. This thing the the ball keeps on spinning. It's like the galaxy song and uh meaning of life. This universe keeps on expanding and expanding in all the directions it can whiz. And I kind of look at it from that perspective. Like we're one tiny piece of a larger puzzle, but once you start to see that, how big the puzzle is, it gives you hope. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how I look at it without bringing uh, uh, the the Jesus into the, the whole scenario. Um, <laughs> but also I do think that it's just, it's a nice contemplation to have within this f- nuclear family fifties aesthetic of just like, you know, like how, how much does this construct matter? how much does this idea of what I'm supposed to do and supposed to be really matter in the grand scheme of a cosmos? And that's one of the brilliant parts of Matheson's work is that he's able to test those ideas with the realm of the supposedly ridiculous, like a shrinking man or uh, a vampire in a society swarming over humanity. Like these are questions that he's able to ask with, things like this and the logical conclusion as Ben pointed out, this is the only logical conclusion in my mind because if you, if you give him a cure, which Universal wanted really badly, yeah. to which Jack Arnold said, uh, fuck no, over my dead body. Um, yeah. He didn't say the word fuck. I don't know. Maybe he did. He did. It'd be great. He did. Over my fucking dead body. You fuckers, mm. listen to me. <laughs> um, yep. But Ben pointed out, it's like this is the only logical ending and he's right because like it's you can't stop it. Even mm. if they found a magic potion or a serum for it, then we've just wasted our time. <laughs>
4: exactly. That's, that's, that's the entire point. That's it, it. All, all of the conflict that's gone before becomes null and void. Yeah. The, the, the film, it, it, I mean, also Matheson's works, they don't lead towards a reversal of fortune. They lead towards... As you say, not nihilism, <laughs> not nihilism but you know uh, the 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 sort of long plotted out con- sort of conclusion. Every and, every um, Matheson
3: it, story I've either read or seen has never had a happy ending. No, and nor should it, no. because
4: life doesn't have a happy ending. Does no. it? and you know I think that, that that's what separates the best writers is that if you're going to paint a picture that basically says from the beginning. This ain't gonna end well. No. Then don't let it end well. But this, I think, what I like about this film is the balance. of it does manage to find an optimistic conclusion, even from a reason, reasonably pessimistic or nihilistic ending, yeah. is that you know, look at it. You know, it, it basically invites the audience to take a step back and say, yes, all right, this guy is gonna effectively disappear, but we're all gonna disappear. Mm-hmm. And look at this big thing that we're all part of. Whether you believe in Jesus, Allah, Buddha, whatever. You know, you can't deny the fact that we've all come from nothing and we'll end up in nothing. Mm -hmm. And we're all part of this thing. Look up at the sky, you know, sort of spread
1: your arms and look at the world. And I I think that's it's fairly measured, to be honest. You know, it's funny. Like, here's a horror. Here's here's how you tie it into the horror question. Because we're going to be reading some preview screening comments here in a second but i want i i'm of the mind that the ending is both hopeful and terrifying all at the same time and in that Agreed. in that respect it leaves you I, I i love a film that leaves me walking out the door or outside of the theater with an unease i feel like that like that's the the first time i ever experienced that in its fullest form was no country for old men Um, And like, or something like there will be blood where it's like there's an ambiguity left in the dust. I don't know what the definitive ending of these characters is. And that's my problem to deal with. And and meanwhile, PTA and the Coen brothers just took 20 of my dollars, you know, like that, that idea of just being left to wonder, not just about the character's fate, but what, what that fate means in an entire grand scheme, Mm -hmm. that horror is a slow burn and it's dread and it, it's more like dread. It gets in your skin like the way Val Luton would work in a terror piece rather than a horror piece. Um, yeah. And in that respect, it makes these comment cards from a December 7th preview screening. So satisfying in the, uh, on the offset. Now this would have scared universal and this is why they wanted to get the happier ending. But these comments followed with should have had a different ending should have grown again. <laughs> And what? <laughs> no. uh, 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 some uh, one of the comments uh, for the entire film was, "You scared my son to death."
0: <laughs> uh, Where's he buried? <laughs>
1: and uh, one of them was, "This is an insult to the brain power of my two-year-old son." <laughs> uh, Where's he buried? <laughs> Oh, you and Fritz Lang can have a party together. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Um, uh, and then my favorite uh two my two favorite comments ever are can't you do any better question mark? This is pretty sad. (laughs) Uh and then the best comment ever, what happened at the end?
3: okay it's 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 quite explanatory I don't think there's any ambiguity the, the thing is though the, the best ho- the
4: be- the best horror films make you question your mortality yeah and this is you know we, we've danced around this being a horror film but it, there are horror elements but the the, the the realistic you know sort of viewpoint is that people don't like having their morality no. questioned they, they they're afraid of it because it's terrifying it's it's exactly what you were saying it makes you think and consider your own existence and 90 i would say outside of film reviewers which the three of us are and people who can can look and, and pull apart a film and we spend our our spare time or professional time doing that um you know and we allow ourselves to be asked these questions but the vast majority of your popcorn uh chomping cinema goers they don't want to come away from the cinema asking themselves about you know sort of the big questions about their own mortality or you know what might be going to happen in later life, or tomorrow, or whatever. They want, and I think they that want leads to right <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They they want Fast and the Furious Ten. They they want The Rock to save the day. They want, you know, to, uh, Top Gun to come back after twenty five years and be the best film I've ever seen. As I heard multiple times <laughs> I can't last month.
2: can
4: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, you know, so it's you know it, that, that that's the issue that yeah. we're dealing with. Of
1: course, it is. I I I find that. I found myself at the end of this experience watching the film wanting more sci fi like this. Sure. But also appreciating where those lessons have led from the technical end. So I was like, I was a little torn. Like I it's it's no different than how I am most of the times on this show where I'm like, yes, I want art house films, but I like my popcorn stuff too. So I'm i sli- I'm split down a middle of understanding the value of both.
3: Not being snobby, you know, we're we're not saying that that there are only there is only room for for art movies No, there, there isn't any room for popcorn films. Of course there are rooms. Oh yeah, room of course there is but but sometimes uh, as ben says you know you get to the end of a of a horror movie and I, i'll agree this is a horror film you get to the end of it and if it leaves you with just sort of going fucking hell you know that's making me think then that's a good thing yes I I don't think you you should uh, anyone should turn their nose up at horror movies who just thinks oh it's just blood and gore and guts and slasher and mm-hmm. freddy and jason it's just like no 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 come on yeah. if if you if you boiling it down to as again as Ben said is facing your own mortality then that's that's taking a film to a completely different level yeah i mean take take something ridiculous like um I don't know, uh, like uh, uh, American Werewolf in London, right? Great movie, fantastic mm, yeah. film. And what does it end on? It ends on your protagonist slash villain getting killed, but also realising that he's still a human being at the end of it. And he's dead. And it's sort of like, oh, spoilers, but he is. <laughs> and And, and, that, and that, that brings you back to your own mortality as well. And so th- th- there's room for all of these things when you're watching a film like this. Yeah. And and let's not beat too much around the bush. This is a fantastic film, by the way.
1: Yeah, no, it Wonderful is. Film. It's a five star film for me, hands down. Mm. Um, uh, the we we have a uh, uh, we have like a we actually have a range of uh, of folks who uh, either loved the film or hated the film. The the Philip K. Sure of the Los Angeles Times called it a fantastic exercise in imagination, as terrifying as it is funny. Uh, while as whereas our arch enemy Bosley Crowther of the New York Times panned the film, mm. uh, saying that unless a viewer is addicted to freakish ironies, the unlikely spectacle of Mr. Williams losing an inch of height each week while his wife Randy Stewart looks on helplessly will become tiresome mm. before Universal has emptied its lab of science fiction cliches. A yuck.
3: So, you know, Randy Stewart is brilliant in this, by the way. She is. We, we, should, we should point that out. She's
1: great. Yeah. She doesn't get talked a lot about in the concept. Because, I mean, well, we, we we literally saw that record. Like, Grant Williams is all over this movie. She she even, I mean, the dialogue even points to it. Like, I can't imagine what she's going through. Or I know, mm. I guess this has been hard on her. Mm. Like, yep. she's having to play that line that any spouse goes through when when a loved one is ill and you have to take care of them, you know, mm-hmm. the tight rope you're walking on. Uh to, yeah. to make them happy. I think she's and, yeah. It's it's phenomenal. She doesn't yeah. and I I actually love how she's trying to talk herself into thinking that he's still alive when she's talking to the brother Charlie.
3: It's it's a surprisingly understated performance as well for what could be your typical B movie sci-fi um. F- a damsel in spouse. distress, spouse kind of role. Yeah. Um. And she and she, uh, you know, she
1: she plays it
3: exceptionally well. I I think she deserves a hell of a lot of credit for this
1: role. I agree. And within that, we 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 know where we've talked a little bit about some places where this film's influence has of of borne fruit. And the film was successful enough that it had a wide range of exposure. I mean, this, the film did pretty well in its box office. And Joe Dante in one of the uh, interviews that was done for this criterion was like, this movie wasn't like a bonanza success, but it was successful enough. There's records showing that it held a pretty strong $18,000 opening at one of the theaters that it was, that that it was engaged at. Um, And it kept getting, and it kept getting shown on television Um, but, um, uh, but not uh, as often as other films. Um, it was re-released in 1964. Um, it seems like it's Laserdisc and VHS releases is where everything kicks off to full circle, but people who remembered the film never forgot it clearly to the point where you would make a movie like the incredible shrinking woman, Joel Schumacher's film. Sure. Um and I mean the amazing colossal man and attack of the fifty foot woman are reversing this whole concept like so yeah. we're still playing in that in that sandbox. Um, this film apparently was they they did attempt to remake this at one point in two thousand and three with Keenan Ivory Waynes directing and Eddie Murphy starring. Um, I remember <laughs> I
3: remember reading about that that Eddie Murphy was going to be doing this.
1: I'm I'm I'm. Sh- shocked that that didn't actually get made. It seems like that would have been a better solution than Pluto Nash, but uh, (laughs) I'm not here to bash Pluto Nash today. Um, As of 2013, before Richard Matheson's death, there was work on them uh, together creating a newer version uh, that would actually have nanotechnology being placed into this whole realm. Uh, But uh, Matheson's death in 2013, I think that's put the project at some kind of a standstill. Um, that's probably
3: for the best yeah
1: I think you only need this one adaptation of it I don't think we need even The Incredible Shrinking Woman is a fun uh, is a fun movie with Lily Tomlin but yeah it's but, but
3: you, it was it was pure schlock though
1: it is it's designed to yeah. to parody that story but you don't yeah. I don't think you need to remake this film necessarily if somebody does I'm not going to be opposed to it so long as they understand what makes this film strong and it has nothing to do with those visual effects. Um, yeah. I think the biggest part of this, though, it was a big lesson for me, and I want to ask you guys what you thought of influences on other films, too. But for the longest time, anytime I heard Stan Lee talking about them making an Ant-Man movie and wondering, why the fuck is this guy so obsessed about getting an Ant-Man movie made? And it, mm-hmm. and I fin- it finally clicked with me because he must have seen the incredible shrinking man and thought out of all of my characters this is the only one that you could conceivably do right now. Yeah. And that actually kind of put a smile on like a, a like a really bright smile on my face of just going like man like th- this film is still having an impact today because It's one thing to have the CGI tech today to make an Ant-Man movie. It's another thing to conceptualize, well, what does that look like? Just because you can do it doesn't mean you know how to do it. And I think if you don't have, obviously, if you don't have the Incredible Shrinking Man, you don't have the concepts that can carry into the MCU with Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp. Just going off of that concept of like, well, what what does perception look like when you are shrunken? What is what like what do you have in range like how does how does size compare these are ideas that have to be fleshed out somewhere and universal and jack arnold and richard matheson all came together and gave us an example of it a really solid example that makes us question our very existence by the end of the movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) um absolutely for your for your own purposes what where do you find the film's strongest influence today between you two is it in the visual effects, or is it in the, the the way it carries a sci-fi tale? Hmm. It's a good
3: good
4: question. Well, for me, sorry, Smokes, while you're thinking, I mean, in terms of legacy, sadly, I think story-wise, I I can't argue that it that I I think that it's it's sort of transcended into you know an influence that I can think of. I think the visuals are its legacy, um, and that, that's not. A negative point. That's a good point, but I mean the film that instantly springs to mind every time I watch this is ah. Honey I Shrunk the Kids. and I mean, and, and it's it, it's yeah, you can dismiss it as a you know a fan. but that, that was a hugely influential film at the time. I mean, it it, it had a a, a Disney um, sort of uh, experience produced on the back of it. Uh, it was a big. It was a big. Obviously, it had several sequels. It was a big film when I was a kid. Um, and watching this back now. That's the film that effectively "Honey I Shrunk the Kids" is the incredible shrinking man for the sort of the generation. Whatever I am, X Y
1: um, Z. I, it's whatever uh, symbol Elon Musk put in front of his child's name. <laughs> I don't know. That's your generation. Uh, no, I get what you're saying. Like it's, I, you know, I, I, I would like to hope though that the ideas of the story. Become more prevalent down the line beyond just the visual realm, because of its ability to have a wider reach, thanks to Criterion or whatever or Arrow in the UK and whatnot. We're at a point right now where, like, if you're if you're making a film, you're going there's no mid budget there's no mid budget film anymore, uh, unless it's on the streaming service. But if a filmmaker going to film school today picks up this film because it's on the criterion collection, because that label carries cachet among film nerds and they start looking into the deeper parts of this. I'd like to see more concepts like what Matheson's tackling bear fruit in future sci-fi horror films or drama films for that matter. Um, Because I don't, I think that we've subconsciously carried the ideas and it it just so happens that Incredible Shrinking Man is only but one of them, um, but at the same time, like I love that the spectacle has st- stood the test of time because I I didn't I forgot about Honey I Shrunk the Kids but you're right Ben like that's a that's a direct comparison and it's one that I know people my age fondly fondly remember um whether it's that or honey i blew up the kid or honey we shrunk ourselves or <laughs> the whole gamut of shrunk, honey i shrunk the toaster you know the this 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 wide range of films um but uh as far as i guess as far as this film is concerned is there anything else you want to bring up about how you feel about it and how you would recommend it to people
3: i mean i'll i'll just add that um Uh, Whilst I agree with, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't deny when it comes to, to honey out front the kids. I mean, that's, that's always, yeah. How how can they not? I mean, they, they, instead of a giant spider, they use a giant ant. And so that's always gonna, that's always gonna resonate there. But, um, but I mean, you could take anything. I mean, the, the only other thing that really sprung to my mind was inner space. Yes. And so you know you've you've got the you've got the you've yeah, got the shrinking fair. down of, of Dennis Quaid and
1: in, in that respect you also have an a more immediate um influence with the Fantastic Voyage, which which is sure. Yeah.
3: I mean that's 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 undeniable too. Um what's the legacy of this film? I mean, yeah, it's it's gotta be the technology. Um because it's it's in its infancy um in the fifties and um, of course it's going to be but it was utilized so well um but i think i th- i think it's a shame that if that that really shouldn't be its legacy though it should be remembered as a really good film in its own right yeah because this is this is a really really good science fiction horror film which i was so glad to revisit again um which i'd only seen once before and it wasn't that long ago maybe 2 years ago maybe was the last time i saw it um and it was so nice to go back and watch it and, and then think about talking to talking about it with you guys because you both get it as well. You know, okay, we can have some fun, you know, we can ha- we can, you know, mock method actors, we can mock the the ridiculousness of the situation. But when it comes down to it, if if people are gonna turn around and say, Well, it's just a shit sci fi B movie it's just well, you know, and we we've said this on rated h a hundred times is that if you're going to turn around to someone and just say well you just don't get it you feel a little snobbish sometimes yeah but sometimes that is the only answer you can give is that you just don't get it so if you if you do turn around and say this is just a ridiculous b-movie that's laughable then they don't get it this is this is a wonderful example of science fiction almost at its very very best i feel and it should and it should be treated that way
1: i agree and i feel like there's optimism to be had in that respect for what the legacy is because we have both sure i think we've i mean we're, we're all in agreement the technological advancements that this film makes is undeniably It's inescapable yeah, yeah i mean yeah. it's, it's there. i mean like thank god we have the stories passed down because uh, we didn't talk about it much but universal actually Put an edict down where this was a closed set. They did not want any set phot- photography of the onset creation of these visual effects. So mm-hmm. there's there's a there's a wonderful thing about the the innovation of these effects, making us continually ask the question: Well, how this how is this done? Leads to more exposure and outright breaking down of the visual effects process, which ILM Mm -hmm. is very open about as is Weta and any other effects company that is still exists to this day. Um, Yeah. The, there is a positive aspect and I think it's something that rated H brings to the world as well as any time we get to a discussion of horror films from this era. Mm -hmm. I think it is very easy to dismiss this film If you don't consider Jack Arnold as intelligent and as artistic as John Ford, Orson Welles, John Huston, there is an inherent bias that horror has always had to contend with. And it's why, yeah. And it's why, more often than not, horror directors from this era were not getting fully appreciated outside of the horror community. James Whale. James Whale still feel it. Still feels like I have to explain to people who James Whale is, Whale is, and it feels like it shouldn't be the case.
3: Some people that talk about James Whale, it's, it's like you you you're saying a swear word, and um and, and unfortunately, and actually, or, or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it. Just recently, there was a there was a thing on Twitter from Jordan Peele. You know, someone saying, ah, "Oh, he was yeah. the best. He was the he was the best horror director," and he went, "Well, whilst I." Thank you for your lovely praise. I won't have a word said against John Carpenter. Yeah. And do I agree that Carpenter is the best mm. horror director ever? Probably not, but his legacy is very high up there.
1: Speak for yourself, especially, Smokey. <laughs> well, especially I
3: know I know I've got two big Carpenter fans here, and I'm a big Carpenter fan as well. Yeah, but is high he the fives, best? High five, Ben. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, I'm, I'm hanging, I'm up here, but um, <laughs> but but it but it also but it comes to the fact that, uh, that that when you're talking about horror movies and you're talking about horror directors, okay, are you are you gonna overlook I mean, let's talk about the current crop there just for a second. You're going to talk about Ari Aster. You're going to talk about Jordan Peele, or are you going to go back a little bit more and you're gonna you gonna just discount Sam Raimi? Are you gonna you know are you gonna just discount John Landis? Are you, you know, there are so many of these yeah. wonderful horror directors out there who just exactly the same as, as this film did that brought so many things to the forefront, and to just discount it because it's horror—that's that's. that's Us backwards there's that why would you do that yeah not just just because it's a horror movie
1: not just horror but also in in some cases sci-fi properties from this particular from this particular era in, in 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 question because i think that jack arnold would have been only relegated to these circles were it not for the fact that there is a huge collection of films that he created, whether it be Western, horror, sci-fi, or noir, Mm -hmm. that put him in the realm of a Curtiz uh, or a Wyler, where the studio-assigned directors were tasked with doing any and all genre asked of them. It just so happens that what Arnold was asked to do more often than not, at Universal especially, were the sci-fi and horror films. And I feel like... Incredible Shrinking Man is a testament to the fact of just because somebody hasn't talked about them in a way that we talk about Spielberg or Scorsese or Coppola or Wells, Ford, Weiler, George Stevens does not mean they are worthless. And anytime you hear the word a studio director or an assignment director, that's not a dirty word. More often than not the studio's bringing them on because they have an artistry to them. And I feel like The Incredible Shrinking Man is proof of just because you've never heard of this director doesn't mean he doesn't have an artistic story to tell in not just here, but in several other films in his filmography. Um, And I was very happy to have both of you on to shed a light on Jack Arnold, to shed a light on this film, and to bring your lovely sensibilities in how you break down horror films and tales of the bazaar to the ballyhoo um ben y- it's been our pleasure ben, this
0: was, ben our pleasure. this was
1: your first ride on the show i don't want it to be the last i want you back as with you Smokey. i'd love to come yeah back. yep come and back. we can well and and i'm sure there's plenty that can be talked about but Forget about this show for a second. You guys do a lot of stuff, and I want people to know more about it. Please pitch yourselves. Pitch, pitch, pitch that carpe- condo of carpentry tools, uh, rated S <laughs> for scary. D- d- pitch yourselves. Oh, just kidding with the titles, but. Um, but we, we can, yes, do. We yes,
0: can, yes. Tell um, us where yeah. where can we yeah, find let's you? F-
4: let's fall over ourselves to talk about Perhaps each other. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, we we do uh, um, rated H is our horror movie podcast. You'll find us um, at rated H pod.
3: Smokes is that right? That's absolutely correct.
4: Uh, yeah, on 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 Twitter, um, and obviously, if you go searching for us on your podcatcher of choice, you'll find us there. And we are also to two thirds of the uh, House of Hammer podcast, where we're working our way choreographically or in in year order through. Um, <laughs> The, the films of Hammer... That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> to, 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 to Lin- li-
1: linearly. You know, the thing they wouldn't yeah. let me do in this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
4: so Yes, we, we began in 1938, and we're currently in 1952, and we might get out of the 1950s by about the year 2025, when eventually <sighs> we might reach the horror films that Hammer did. So if you're interested mm. in the early cinema of Hammer Studios, you're thinking, oh, yes, I know Hammer... All they do is horror. You're absolutely wrong because two-thirds of their output was not um, horror. In fact, they did uh. noir, they did thrillers, they did comedies, they did musicals. and uh, we talk about them all, and we're working mm-hmm. our way through them one by one, and you'll also learn a lot of other crap on the way about sort of uh, how uh, darts are played, how hand cranks are used, and uh, yeah, various other things along
1: the way. You learn. Yeah. You learn the greatest lesson, which is who put what down the hoo ha. <laughs> the hoo ha. Yes, yes, the hoo ha. Very true. Yeah, and
3: we and we will and we will say this again, Zach. You are coming on rated H. That is an open invitation to come on rated H and talk some horror with us. Yay!
1: I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I know. I, I'm excited. You tell me what. I'll 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 fly. No, I won't fly, and I can't afford that. No, no. no. <laughs> I'll come here through the magic of a computer room. <laughs> hey, I'll right, use. This.
3: I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be a Bella ghosty movie. Okay. Damn so it! Shelve that one. <laughs> Fuck you, Smokey.
1: <laughs> Are you jealous of my talent? <laughs>
3: I certainly am. Mate.
1: <laughs> Jealous of something. Mm-hmm. You're in- right your, your excuse for insanity is very appealing, especially in the workplace. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> thank you for thank you, gentlemen, for coming on for this. And I and actually, uh, it's it's funny because um, you, this is this has been like a, like a a year since Smokey came on, but like so much mm-hmm. has changed that it's so lovely to see how how far both of you guys have come within the world of podcasting and to watch you guys grow with House of Hammer has been this absolute treat to listen to and thank you sir i will repeat a thing i keep repeating to smokey and i'm sure he's tired of it but ben can now start hearing this song too you guys are doing sure. a lot for film preservation by making people aware of these films because that's the first step in making sure that we actually have these films and the hammer output that precedes the horror output needs to be looked at uh if people don't get me a criterion of death in high heels very soon i'm going to scream so <laughs>
3: oh it's the uh the rosseter case as well blew you rosseter case yeah Sorry.
1: and yeah. i I, great, I, great movie. I i'm not a snob either criterion can also put out river patrol and we'll be just fine yeah. <laughs> um, i sporting uh. loaf <laughs> good sporting <laughs> Um, Let's not go there. No, no. Um, I'll, actually, though, I would like a cri- uh, 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 there, I think there needs to be criterions of uh, some of the uh, the uh, what was it uh, well, the roster case. I think there should be one. But
3: yeah, Celia as
1: well. Celia. That's one the bit. one I'm thinking of. Mm. Celia, Celia is the one. Yeah, um, yeah. and the Paul Robeson one Fair. too. Yeah, Fair. that needs to oh, be- Song of Freedom. Song of Freedom needs to happen. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you so much again. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. You can find out more about us on the back half of the show. Coming up on the program, the Ballyboo is returning. That's right. An entire month of horror is coming your way. And I think this will be basically kicking it off because we're going to start with this. But... Uh, More to the point, we're going to be returning to Jack Arnold because Aaron and Chloe from RVP will be returning to talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, an eternal classic. And Henry Jarvis has already kind of said he's doing this, so I'm just going to call him out on it. Get ready for Max (laughs) Shrek. He can't
3: back out now. Yeah,
1: Max Shrek's coming to the Ballyhoo with Nosferatu. Um, And we'll have some more surprises down the line. And Disney is returning to the show with a discussion of Disney in the 30s. Uh, Matt Murback and Tyler maybe will be coming back for more Riftastic 4-Hour Chaos <laughs> than just talking about Disney cartoons. Um, <laughs> but until all of that, and until next time, folks, good night. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds Podcast. This is Zach signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification.